The it's always the right time deal. Hey, want to go to Mickey D's for lunch? Ooh, let's go now. <laughs> But it's not lunchtime yet. If we're going to McDonald's, it's always the right time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. There's a deal for every lunch hour at McDonald's. Now's the time to get two for three ninety nine. Mix and match a four piece McNuggets, a McDouble, a McChicken, or a hot and spicy McChicken. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. I actually had to implement some advice that you gave me today, this week. Wait, you what? gave me some advice that like changed my life. Wait, 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 wait. What? What? <laughs> Diablo Cody's here. What? Uh, are we? Yeah, we just roll. Okay. See, I was gonna say that. Remember when you said this was super professional? No, I love this. That's so, where it. This is where it ends. No, a few years ago. I had to, in fact, it was probably like seven or eight years now. I had to call you because my brother had overdosed, and you helped me get him into a rehab center because I wanted to date him. <laughs> I don't. I actually don't think that was what was happening, um, and unfortunately, uh, I don't think the center fixed him completely. Um, but it was. Uh, They can't. No one. No, can. I know. You that. Know. I know. I was just being facetious. Yeah, but it was uh, very. I was very, <laughs> for eighty grand a month. You'd think <laughs> you would think so, right? I think they could fix me. I just have to give them a chance. Maybe one day. Yeah. Thank um, you guys for keeping me poor, which keeps me motivated to work harder. <laughs> I do think paying for rehabs is part of the reason I'm so ambitious. I just I have, like have to get cash quick. Yeah, I have you know done my share of paying for rehabs as well, and so you and I bonded over that. And um, but one piece of advice you gave me, which is, you know, this is like deeply personal shit, but um, stop being so annoying and he'll stop drinking so much. No, it wasn't. It It was actually about my mom because my mom was and remains in denial about my brother's issues. And I told you about my mom's history and how she had been raised by an alcoholic. And you said to me, you will never be able to change that. She has built up such a wall of protection around herself because of her childhood and it is permanent and you cannot expect her to start knocking it down now and seeing things for what they are. And it's advice that I have implemented probably a hundred times since we had that conversation. That's how we love them more is we just forgive them for things that were out of their control. It's right. like we forgive others not because they deserve forgiveness because we deserve peace. But it's like, you know, the idea of a woman who grew up in the The 40s, 50s. 40s and 50s, yeah, having yeah. any concept that alcohol is bad. Yeah. I just have so much radical love and forgiveness for our parents. Yeah. Because I actually think they did better than they should have given the tools they lacked. I think about this all the time. And I also, you know, I spent so many years wondering why, you know, I wasn't more seen as a child or why I wasn't nurtured in a certain way or, you know, my, you know, Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Like basically the way, you know, parents today just seem so much more aware and so much more evolved. But when I look back on it, I think to myself, my God, it was the 70s. It was the 80s. They had, neither of them had ever been to therapy. Like they were all high on Aquanet. <laughs> they were high on Aquanet. <laughs> so was I. And they were working their asses off. They didn't have time to sit around and talk to me about my religious trauma. They were like, just keep her alive. Yeah, keep, keep her alive. Feed. I have to make her lunch. I have to get her ready for cheerleading at 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. That the last thing they were thinking about was like, you know, my my stupid. Because their dads worked in factories at 14. Right. So they're like, she's fine. She's in a, on a couch <laughs> watching yeah. TV. We're spoiling her. 
Oh, exactly. They were like, this is the perfect childhood. And then also like, it's just sort of like, I look back, I know this is half a joke, but it's like, when I think about like, why didn't my dad talk to, why didn't you spend more time with me when I was like five and talk to me? <laughs> what the fuck did I have to say? <laughs> it's like true. why I'd rather my dad not have talked to me than found out how boring I was. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of an asshole thing to say as a mom of three, but I, the world has gotten way too child centered. When I tell you, it's like I, I'm I'm doing this joke about like I always have to say if something's a joke because I just I get too embarrassed and ashamed. But um, about this new gay panic where parents are obsessed with like the drag queens or molesting our kids and the trans oh, people God, are molesting so our kids. It's like. All your your obsession with your child getting molested, all you're doing is saying that you think your kid is hot. Like you think <laughs> oh your God. kid is like worth going to jail for. Like if you, because they're like, my kid was in a public bathroom with a drag queen for two minutes. It's like, that's not enough time. Like, I, I mean, I, lo I, I, I love where you're going with this. <laughs> you, where you think it's like parental hubris. Like, oh, you think your kid has what it takes. Yeah, exactly. Right. And also like you think someone looks at your kid and is like, you know what? I'll just end my life just to touch that for oh my 30 God. seconds. It's just sort of like, oh yes, there's God. people that are mentally ill, but it also is like, I was molested by a straight guy and that is traumatic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're molested. all molested. If I was molested by a drag queen, I feel like I would have had the confidence like I wanted so much earlier because at least there would have been a um, triumphant anthem playing in the background so I could overcome the adversity I was currently experiencing. <laughs> you, you think I just would have had like a, a, at first a, I was a afraid. Queer, putting a queer lens on it makes it a little more palatable. <laughs> just totally, at least the background music would have been, you know, like you're a firework. The it's always the right time deal. Hey, want to go to Mickey D's for lunch? Ooh, let's go now. <laughs> but it's not lunchtime yet. If we're going to McDonald's, it's always the right time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. There's a deal for every lunch hour at McDonald's. Now's the time to get two for $3.99. Mix and match a four-piece McNuggets, a McDouble, a McChicken, or a hot and spicy McChicken. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. I'd be like, I am. Oh like, at God. least it would be. So Wait. anyway, agree. And I would love to talk about that um, because I think a, lo a lot of the themes in the Jagged Little oh, Pill yeah. musical, watching that mom obsess over having to deal with the press. It's also, I see so many moms that are struggling with uh, drug problems and painkiller problems and edible problems because of the pressure of being the perfect parent. And I think the best thing you can do for a child is have flaws and acknowledge them and show that you can have flaws and still succeed. You can have flaws and still course correct. You can apologize if you did something wrong. Like, you know. I have learned that. That actually has been a very valuable lesson for me because having flaws was not modeled for me. You know, I had, obviously my parents are flawed people, but they were very um, stiff upper lip Midwestern, like did not cry in front of me ever. I mean, it was, you know, and it was 10 degrees. Yeah, and of course my, they had my a stiff kids see me lip. cry on like a daily basis. Like I'm like a complete vulnerable, real mess in good, front of them. Good. So, and it's boys, like yeah. that, what's better than that? I mean, I hope it's good for them, either that or they're gonna be like, yeah, we were raised by like an insane narcissist. No. You know? <laughs> by the way, I just, I think that like a couple things. Number one, I, the, older I get, the more I am obsessed with ancestral trauma, the stuff that has nothing to do with nurture, the stuff that's imprinted 100%. in our genes. Because so much, it's like, you know, genetics loads the gun, environment pulls the trigger. Like, it's like nothing personal to parents, but like, it's not, it's not all to your credit and it's not all your fault. There's a lot of preloaded software. That's, I talk to people about this all the time. 
because I really, the one thing, and not to keep coming back to having three children, like it's my entire personality, but one thing about having three is you realize how much of it is preloaded software because you can raise three kids in the exact same household with the exact same rules, you know, everything. And they're three completely different human beings with different you know, moral compasses, different everything. And there's so much um, sort of uh, uh, literature now on, because my thing was like, my parents were kind of never around. So there was like a little bit of an absence. So like, what was the other siblings also have almost as big of an impact on you as your parents? Oh, I believe that one. Which is so crazy. Yeah. Because a lot of times like we're looking up to our older sibling and then they end up being our babysitter at some point. You know, that's whose approval. I really wanted my older sister's approval way more than my dad or my mom. The same is true for me. I wouldn't be sitting in this podcast right now talking to you if I had been an only child. Like having an older brother who was such a looming figure in my life completely informed the person that I am. We don't spend enough time with like birth order and sort of like what we developed and the self-limiting beliefs or self-aggrandizing beliefs, whatever that we got from our siblings, you know, or having to be an older sibling and having to caretake a younger sibling too early. You know, like I'm the youngest and I know a lot of people that are the youngest in this business because I think that we're same perfectly qualified because we learn to shape shift. We learn to fit in to an already existing system and like you know we a lot of us were mistakes and that's <laughs> fine too or as we my mom says a surprise you know and i think that um uh can i ask uh sometimes i cut myself off when i get bored of what i'm saying um and feel like i'm talking too much but can you connect anything to the things that you used to think were a disadvantage in your childhood or from your primary caretakers that now you see as like a superpower that you're like Absolutely. I'm so embarrassed for all the people that had all that love. Yeah, well, there's that. But for me, the big thing is my family was not, while they weren't dismissive, they were not particularly encouraging of my creative pursuits. Like it was just like, oh, Brooke wants to be a writer, but no one writes for a living. So she'll be an English teacher. And I mean, that was what my parents always said to people, Mm -hmm. which is, by the way, nothing wrong with being an English teacher. But I was told that I could not, you know, support myself solely as as a writer. And meanwhile, when I grew up and came to L.A., I met so many people who had just been, like, completely nurtured as artists by their families. Like, sent to the fancy camp in Michigan where you're with, you know, like, all the stuff. Like, the, you know, internships and, oh, my mom is a sculptor and, blah, you know, she taught me, you know, stuff like that that mm-hmm. I couldn't even begin to relate to. Yeah, you know what's going and, really well right now is uh, statues, we, I'm just saying, Americans like, really like keeping those up. Just cool. <laughs> People grew up in these cool artistic environments with parents who totally, you know, grokked what they were trying to do. And I honestly think that that would have put me at a disadvantage. I think it would have made me very sort of complacent. It, like it, it being dismissed lit a fire under me. That was essential. And, you know, something my dad used to always say to me that I'm, I don't encourage people saying to their parents, I don't know enough about parenting to be able to even give advice, do what you do. It's none of my business. Um, I'm not the per- I literally have friends that have kids and will go out in public with the kids and some stranger, like someone will just walk, some woman will walk up and be like, you better put sunscreen on that kid. Oh, and yeah, like, that happens all the time. What are you doing? <laughs> like, actually, you just did that in front of your kid. Yeah, I mean, older women are specifically crazy about socks. Like, if you bring a baby out without socks, like, 15 women over the age of 65 will descend on your baby and be like, his feet are cold. Where are his socks? Where are his socks? And it's like, it's 90 degrees. 
ma'am, I'm sorry you have a foot fetish. I don't yes, know I how. Know. I was like, why are you looking at my baby's feet? I know exactly. Why did you even see this? Why did you notice? Why do you need them to be yeah. covered up so bad? Because yeah. my pussy's getting wet. It's just so wild <laughs> oh, to me. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yes. Um, uh, so that is fascinating because yeah, I look around a lot of people um, around me constantly feeling like they deserve more. That I should be getting even, uh, there's an epidemic right now uh, of what I call sore winners who it's like, you know, I didn't get it the way I wanted it. And I was told, my dad was very clear. I, a lot of therapists have told me this was like not a good thing for him to have done. I disagree, um, which is he would always say life is not fair. He goes, you will always have to work twice as hard to get half as far. And like I would come home and be like, I got to be on this test, but I shouldn't have because they did it. They were supposed to give it Friday and they gave it today. And he's like, that's always how it's going to, you have to be ready for things to never be on your terms. You have to be so wow. good that you have to be able to do it with a headache. You have to be able to do it with no sleep. You have to be able to do it with a boyfriend that just broke up with you, distracted. And he would wake me up in the middle of the night and quiz me on spelling words in the middle of the night. At the time, and we would literally, I would scream and cry because he would not let me watch Beverly Hills 90210 until I got every spelling word forward and backwards. And every, and he would quiz me on chapters that were not in the test because he was just like, you're going to have to, they're going to try to throw you for a loop and I'm not going to let anyone ever trick you. Well, do you feel that that was advantageous or do you look back and say that that's I look back, dramatic. I'm like, I have this Both. wild advantage of like people talk about my work ethic and I'm like, it doesn't occur to me that I work hard. Like I saw my mom worked, you know, I went to uh, department stores after school and watched her work. Like she was busy as shit and never like around. And then my dad made me work my ass off. And so it's like, I think I just have a higher tolerance for a different definition of like hard than other people do. I like that. It like, I, I feel really grateful because I see a lot of people around me that are winning and they're miserable or they feel they're entitled to work less and get more. I know exactly what you mean by the sore winners. I like that term. I'm stealing it. It's so good. There are a lot of them. A lot of them. Because and you're, there's, I mean, an entitlement issue in general in this industry. You know, like it's just. I really want to be on track with you because I'm so excited about this. And I am like. I've known you for a while. Yeah, long time. A really long time. And I feel like we haven't got to spend a lot of time together, but I'm going to try to keep, because I have so many professional questions for you. Let's do it. And I will get eaten alive uh, by the fans if I don't. So, okay. Can I ask you some questions about Alanis Morissette? Absolutely. And this, uh, so my deal with podcasting is I don't ask any questions that have already been asked of you on other podcasts. Oh. So her on Chris Hardwick is incredible. Her on the Vox is incredible. I don't want to ask any questions you've already been asked because I okay. hate it when, I hate it when people uh, ask you like, so how did you get into writing? And you're like, this is somewhere. <laughs> This is somewhere. This can be, yeah. It's somewhere. So all the que those questions, it's all the, those spoiler alert. That's yeah. been on the internet for ten years. Go find it. May I just ask you, when you first heard uh, the Alanis Morissette album, where were you? What was going on when you want to know came out? Yes. Where were you in your life? What happened? You know what's so crazy is I have such a a clear core memory of this, and I it's it's funny because it's. I don't know. It's just odd to me because you don't usually remember the f exactly where you were the first time you heard a popular song. You just remember if you liked it or not. Mm -hmm. But I specifically remember sitting in my bedroom in the Chicago suburbs and I was listening to Q101, which is Chicago's rock alternative. And the DJ did something that they rarely did in like corporate radio. And he came on and he said, I'm about to play a song that is so amazing that like nobody here can stop talking about it. Like he like, usually, you know, and they, they don't do that on like a mainstream radio station, but he was editorializing. He was like, no, this is going to be great. Like get ready, buckle up. 
and you ought to know started playing. And sure enough, I remember sitting there like, you know, I, of course, when you're 15 or 16, you think you're like the greatest judge of everything. So I'm like, <laughs> so I'm sitting there like, let's see if this is any good. You know, like, hmm, I don't know. Like, I would have mixed the drums a little lower, or whatever. So, um, but I was listening to it and I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is definitely like, this is a moment. Right. And so, of course, that whole summer of Jagged Little Pill was like me and my friends cranking it in the car, like screaming along. to uh, like, uh, All I want. Uh, uh, like was, the, yeah. we even sang the yodeling. Oh, you did it all. Like you became her, you know, it's like. It, but yeah, I think uh, weirdly, all I want was like the single off that album mm-hmm. that really got to me yeah. because I just remember feeling like nobody was listening. Mm hmm. And and I was surrounded by sheep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. that vibe. You and, and the crazy thing is. To me, you know, she was an adult having an adult life, but now I know that she was, you know, 19 when yeah, she wrote she those songs, a- 20 when she re- recorded them, maybe when the album came out, like she's a kid. Like, do you remember what, I mean, it's been spoken about, you know, enough, so I don't want to rehash what's already been said, but I do, f- for me, certainly, I grew up in a ACA environment, uh, you know, grew into an alcoholic home, eggshells everywhere. Your feelings were overwhelming to the parents. Having needs was exhausting to people. And there was borderline personality in my family. So there was a lot of like, can I have some dinner? Well, okay, well, th- why don't I just get hit by a bus? Why don't I get a new mother? It was like, I had a mother that was very overwhelmed. And when I had needs, I think it made her feel like she was not doing a good enough job as a mom. And it came out, you know, like I felt it. Like I felt like she was always at a boiling point. She was overwhelmed, you know, and she, as she was, she had a full-time job and kids and was going through a horrible divorce and she was just at capacity mentally. She didn't have, you know, so I remember really having to swallow my feelings, not have any feelings, be perfect, always be happy, don't ask for anything, you know, chronic, you know, which yielded chronic self-deprivation, sort of a chronic independence that, you know, isn't helpful to earlier precociousness. And I remember when I first heard that song, I, I, I saw it first on MTV, the video first. Yeah. And I remember being like, women are allowed to be mad? Like, I, I, I knew that we could, my, I would see my mom, like, cry when she got a t- cry, and then people go, this is crazy. Like, you can't lose your shit as a woman. You're not allowed to right. be upset. You're not allowed to be messy. And watching her just be, like, so mad, I remember going, like, I didn't realize that was an option. And I didn't realize till later, my goal was basically, I want to be the Alanis Morissette of comedy. I want I it that. to be messy and I want it to be like raw and I want to make people like uncomfortable. If they're uncomfortable, that's okay too. Um, but I want people to be able to see like you can be complex and angry and emotional, but also smart. So emotional doesn't mean dumb and out of control of yourself because Alanis was so fucking smart. She's super intellectual. I mean, she is a really smart person. It's wild. And then I remember this blew my mind. It was like a little thing that I'm sure a lot of people miss, but- you know how us Catholic girls can be. So going to Catholic school, same. I didn't realize that I was basically in a stripper costume. Like I didn't realize <laughs> that, you know, a Catholic school uniform is your sex symbol. Oh, completely. At 10. I didn't know what that, how that read to men, you know, so I got all this weird attention from men. I'm in a Catholic school uniform. We would roll it up. And it was just like, um, 
I think that uniform just has to go. It's become, it's too sexual. It's honestly kind of crazy that it endures because Shocking. It, it is like just a completely fetishized costume. It's a Halloween, co- it's a hot like, Halloween costume. They still are like, well, we insist on girls wearing the uniforms for decency. And it's like, no, you're making people horny. I, I, like, like 100%. And you and I was yeah. tall and I would go out and men would talk to me. And I was like, four, you know. The most but, sexual attention from men that I ever got in my life was between the ages of like, 10 and 14, which is really disturbing to look back on. I think a lot of women feel that way. And then the, um, you know how us Catholic girls can be. I remember being like, oh, that's sarcasm. Like, that's sarcasm. And she's using the stereotype that she can't change to her advantage. So, you know how us Catholic girls can be. Like, we're bad. So, I'm going to do bad things. So, it's not my fault. So, it's like, you're the one putting me in this corner and there's nothing I can do about it, but I'm going to figure out a way to use it to my advantage. She totally turned the tables. And that's probably my favorite song off the album. I mean, well, 100%. Well, no. Oh, I, I can't it's hard a, to choose. I can't but, pick a favorite. But that one definitely uh, is is super extra powerful for She me. owned the stereotype. Yeah. And was like, you're going to think I'm this fucking bad girl that was born bad anyway. So anything I do is bad. So it's not my fault. It kind of exonerates you from the guilt that... Catholicism controls you with. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh, she just fucking hacked the system. Oh, yeah. And I remember the idea of going, and then the rest of my life when a guy's like, you're crazy. It's like, well, I'm crazy. So if you're here, what's going on with you? And then I would do something and be like, well, I'm crazy. So that's just, this is what happens. Exactly. You know, there's a freedom in being seen a certain way that's off or unfair. And just use it to make it fair. Yesterday, this lady asked me if I was out of my mind because of the way I parked. And I said, yeah. It's like, yeah. funny you should ask. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is the least crazy thing I've done today. Yeah. You're, <laughs> it's like when everybody, I mean, you've known me for so long when during the pandemic, I dyed my hair like a million different colors. I mean, I've, I've been there. I know you get it. Yeah. yeah. But it was like, I never get to do that. And then once I realized there was like, we're not going to do anything for two years. I was like, oh, I'm going to dye my hair all the colors I never got to because doing it right is expensive as shit. It's so annoying to keep up to. Like, it's just the, I had shampoos and all kinds of crazy stuff. And that manic panic. Were you a manic panic? No, I was using um, Pulp Riot. <laughs> nice. But it's also a lot of my friends were losing their jobs, hairdressers and stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, come over. I'll put on a mask. Right. We'll get tested and like do the most expensive thing you can. And I was like, I'll pink hair, blue hair. Blah. And people are like, Whitney's gone crazy. I'm like, if you, it is so funny. I was so much crazier when I was a brunette. Like yeah. <laughs> me that. dyeing my hair pink is like me doing something I want to do and not constantly running around with brown hair being like, am I acceptable to men? Am I going to get cast in this because my hair is right? Like if I'm like, it's so much saner to be like, I want pink hair. I'm going to do it. And to do it. Yeah, I agree. People always say that about women where they're like, oh, if you cut your bangs, you're going through something. Or this. it's like, maybe I want bangs. Maybe because I don't want to get Botox. I don't have time to get Botox. So I'm just get bangs. That's actually why I have bangs. <laughs> and my injector gets really angry because I get Botox between my eyebrows right here, yeah. for the angry part. And because I'm okay, I, my whole thing is I'm okay with looking old, but I don't want to look mad. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just like I can be old, but I don't want to look pissed off at the world. And ironically, and- looking old is the only thing that makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely like a snake eating its tail. I was going to say Chinese finger trap. I don't know if we can say that anymore. Um, and uh, But I refused. I don't get Botox on my forehead because I have bangs. And the lady's always like, but you might grow them out. Because I, th- I don't know. I guess she just wants to upsell me on more Botox. Sure. And I'm like, I'm never going to. I've had them since the first grade. So an L.A. dermatologist worries about running out of Botox clients, you'll be fine. I know. I was like, <laughs> I yeah, you're going to be all right. They're lined up outside. <laughs> I was just, you'll be fine. And also like – 
That's so wild to me. Because it, that's what frustrates me when you're caught in that thing. And I feel like Alanis Morissette acknowledged so much when you're caught in that thing. How do you make it work for you when there's two bad options? Yeah. So the idea is like, okay, so if I get Botox, you guys are going to clown on me for having Botox, right? And be like, you do work to your face. And if I get bangs, you're going to say I'm, go- I'm going through something and emotionally unstable. So and it's if, like- And if you don't get Botox, it's like, oh, she looks rough. Oh, and that, it's and like, it, shut up. I didn't even entertain that option. No, I know. But it's just like, I, that's like the worst. Like She's busted. You know, yeah. she's busted. She's old. She has wrinkles. So it's Anyone like- Anyone who doesn't look exactly the same as they did in 2007 is busted. Yeah, like, that'd be, yeah. That's a hologram. Yeah. Like, uh, but also, yeah. So it's like, I have three shitty options. I might as well pick one and have fun. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And it's also good because then it's like the people that don't fuck with it, like it's a really easy way to get you out of my life. Like it's a really easy way to see who you are, you know? Um, But uh, okay, so can I ask um, the play? So I got to see you at the musical (laughs) in LA and I was like two behind you and I was like screaming all the songs. No, I loved it. And I was trying so hard to not like ruin your experience. You did not. I mean, uh, spoiler alert. I mean, I've seen the show many times. So, you know, it definitely didn't uh, rob me of my experience seeing Jack Little Bill. Um, I loved hearing you sing. I love when people sing in the theater in general. Like, I'm not down with the old rules of, you know, theater etiquette. Gross. That's why I love that Jeremy O'Harris is like, go ahead, text during my play. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like, whatever. Like, it's just Fine. like. Fine. Someone will just fight you in the parking lot. Exactly. But like, yeah, I, I, I love hearing people sing along like it's a concert. I mean, it's a it's an incredible being in there, I, I, being in watching Jagged Little Pill with a live audience is like my favorite form of church. Like it's such a great feeling. Even knowing that you were writing this as a, as someone that like kind of that album is a really big like part of my um just like daily inner monologue, my belief system, my um it's like imprinted on my DNA. I was like. It's going to be great because it's going to be all the songs, but like there's no way to really match. Like I was kind of like, oh, they'll rewrite the songs. I'm sure like it it blew my mind how well it fit. Nothing felt like, oh, we're stopping to sing an Atlanta song, which I would have been fine with. Yeah, so would I. But the idea (laughs) that you're watching this scene that's like interesting anyway, and then it's just like, hi, hi, and you're like, that worked. I gave me chills. I just gave myself chills. Like it gave me goosebumps. How long did it take to make it all fit? Were there any parts where you're like, oh, this would feel forced in? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I will say I was exceptionally spoiled having that album to work with because her songs are inherently like narrative. She's telling stories. Mm-hmm. The song Mary Jane, she's telling a story. Yes. Perfect is a short story. Well, like, um, I hear you're losing weight, Mary Jane. You ever think about who you're losing it for was a very big part of my eating disorder recovery because I couldn't oh, answer I that question. Because I the question was like, uh, my ex-boyfriend, uh, that girl in high school I'm trying to make jealous, that like I couldn't answer it. Right. And it's so I felt like as a as the book writer, compared to some other jukebox musicals, some some other folks really had their work cut out for them. Like Mama Mia to listen to a bunch of ABBA songs, which I love ABBA, but it's not like lyrically, how do I put this without pissing off the ABBA verse? Yeah. Um, all I have to say is I think it is very impressive to take the ABBA catalog and make this adorable rom-com that takes place in Greece and put it on a Broadway stage. Anyway, I'm saying that like Alanis, I feel like provided me with so much, there's so much was already there that I felt like it, it made it easier. In okay, term- yes and no. 
what you did is so hard. Well, thank you. Like I, It took years. I mean, it wasn't like yeah. I dashed it off. It, it, yes, you worked with best case scenario, but it's still impossible what you pulled off. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, it was great. And and to answer your question of, you know, was there anything that didn't fit? Like, yeah, like the song, Not the Doctor, is it's a great song. I couldn't figure out what to do with Interesting. it. And so at one point I said, guys, I hate to tell you all the creative team, you know, producing team. I was like, Not the Doctor is not going to be in the show because I don't know what to do with it. At that point, we had workshopped. We had, you know, we were pretty far along in the process. Mm-hmm. And the director correctly said to me, she's like, you can't ha- leave one song on the album out. People are going to, it's just, it's glaring. People want to hear the whole album. If you're doing every track, but not the doctor, it's not going to work. I was like, ah. So it took a long time to figure out how to interpolate it into that therapy scene. Right. And then we did it. Um, But I remember that being uh, probably the biggest challenge in terms of placement. In terms of you ought to know, just, sorry, I'm geeking out. Like, was there pressure of like, okay, we know people will be waiting for this song. Was there pressure to put it like, uh, if we put it sooner, people will, or let's hold so that the tension builds. And when it does, when they do, when they, I mean, that's probably the pronoun, frankly, uh, when they do sing it, uh, it's going to be like this explosion of anticipation. I think that my ignorance of the musical theater process really helped me with You Ought to Know, because any person who had any experience writing for Broadway would know that you take your big song, your big 11 o'clock number, as Mm -hmm. they call it, and you give it to one of your leads. (laughs) And this is not to say that Joe isn't an important character, but up until that point in the show, Joe has essentially been like comic relief, kind of like, you know, Joe has, Joe has been on a journey, but it's not, you know, the main characters in the show are Frankie and Mary Jane. Mm -hmm. So you would assume that one of them is going to sing You Ought to Know. And I think giving it to Joe, who at that point has been bottling up so That's many what emotions. That's makes it so great. And just, you know, making, you know, one-liners and to, you know, the way Lauren Patton played Joe on Broadway was very much like just brushing everything off. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's all good. I don't care. One hand in my pocket, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and then yeah. to have that explosion in the second act is like, I think that's what, and I, I mean. That's what it felt like to hear it for the first time when we heard it. Like, what the fuck? Where did this come from? Yeah, but that's how anger works, right? At least for me, it does. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, people usually don't know I'm mad until it's too late. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like the volcano, you know, that yes. was fun. And but um, that's what, because that's what it was. I felt like for Alanis, when we heard it, it's like every, women have been bottling up their feelings for so long. And then it was just like this explosion out of nowhere. And I think that's how men see our anger. Where did this come from? Yeah. And it's like you. Because you can't you. read the micro expressions of <laughs> yeah, my exactly. faces and, the, and sort of like, where did this come from? It's like when my favorite is when you go on a double date with your guy and another couple or something. And the woman is like really like mean to you in a way that only women would understand. Yes. And then you get in the car and you're like, that was crazy. And they're like, what? You got what do you mean? And you're like, how did you not pick up on any of that? Yeah. She said I would look so much prettier without makeup, like to the table. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like just little, well, that's a compliment. I'm like, how are you missing all this? You know, that's what it felt like. It's- I went on a double date once and the the lady was like, you look so much thinner in real life. <laughs> like, that's a good one, right? 
it's I have a theory about like when someone comes up to you, you get recognized when you go out. I bet. Uh, honestly, not these days, but I have in the past. I did. Like you know, I'm just so underground now. Like I like I'm doing this. I never. I think do it's anything. just. I think there's just three boys around you, and everyone's like, oh no, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Believe her, baby. My she, security guards. She's overwhelmed enough. Yeah. Let's just not put anything else on her plate right now. But also, <laughs> um, uh, uh. What was I going to say? Uh, being in public recognized. I have this theory that when someone comes up to you, you after three, after two compliments, you have to like literally sprint because the third one is always going to be an insult. It's always yeah, like, you know, that's such true. a big fan. I love you so much. You're so much bigger in person. Like the third <laughs> one is always like what they're thinking. Honestly, yeah, I love you. You're so funny. How come you're not married? Like, or whatever, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> like, and you're just like too nice to meet you. Pleasure. And you just have to sprint the other direction. I have had some crazy stuff said to me for sure, where I'm just like, okay, I guess I should feel insulted, but, uh, you know. <laughs> It's it's also, let me ask you, because of like sort of what you come from as a child, like the way you're able to sublimate things into your work and the way that I feel so lucky that we are able to, and I this isn't until recently that I kind of figured out how to, you know, this trick of the idea of like being able to um, essentially alchemize pain, embarrassing moments, shitty moments at parties, shitty things people say into what we do. Like every time someone is shitty to me, I'm like, I just made money. Great. Like, it's true. Do you feel like when you're moving through the world, you're ever be able to truly be a participant in society without being like, I'm going to use that? No, I was never a participant me in society. Me, I've been a reporter my whole life. I'm an observer. I, I I'm, call, I'm like, I'm just an anthropologist. No, exactly. That is a perfect way to describe it. And I've been saying that since... God, this is like a douchebag anecdote, but like I went on David Letterman when I was really young. He had read my book about stripping and I had never been on TV before. And he, they called me up and asked me to come on the show. And I said that in, in my interview, I said, oh, I'm an anthropologist. I'm like Margaret Mead. That's what I am. Because I've always felt that way. I'm just watching other people. I don't even know what it is to be human, but I, I know what they do. I, I, when I go to parties or events and someone sees me, and it's like, hey, Whitney, I'm truly stunned. Yeah, because you've like depersonalized. I literally <laughs> yeah, think yeah. I'm invisible. Someone's like, hey, Whitney. I'm like, oh, like, how did you see me? Like, I'm staring at you. I'm watching your, I mean, people say to me all the time, they're like, you have to put your, you're staring. And I'll be like, <laughs> I just. When you showed me the camera, when you were like, oh, here's you on the monitor before we get started. I was like, oh, her. Like, I didn't, I wasn't like, that's me. It was like, oh, right. It's this interview person that. that the it's always the right time deal. Hey, want to go to Mickey D's for lunch? Ooh, let's go now. <laughs> but it's not lunchtime yet. If we're going to McDonald's, it's always the right time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. There's a deal for every lunch hour at McDonald's. Now's the time to get two for $3.99. Mix and match a four-piece McNuggets, a McDouble, a McChicken, or a hot and spicy McChicken. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. That comes to town occasionally apologies that i am putting you in a situation where diablo cody was talking and now she's not i know that's traumatic i've <laughs> traumatic i'm mad at you i know me too i miss talking to her but i need to talk to y'all about something important mm. smelly balls this is an important message grace you're out there in the field how are so men's nice. uh crevices doing these days have, have, are they buying Manscaped the way that they should? No. Are they manscaping? It's The landscape is the same as it's always been. It's uh, it's rough out there. Bleak. Yeah. Razor burn? Burn? Just, I mean, just like bumps. Is it herpes? Bristles, is it razor burn? Is like, it monkey pox? You can't be too short. Is that gum? Yeah. Yeah. Are we? Are they, they shaving their pubes? No. Mm, they're, getting, they're getting more 
relaxed with it. I would like to single-handedly thank Manscaped, not only for making products that make men physically like tolerable, because mm-hmm. if I'm gagging around a man, I want it for to be for the right reasons, right. you know, to make him fall in love with me. And I just, I'm grateful. I There is a direct correlation to Manscaped making these incredible freaking products. The deodorant, by the way, I use, if that's okay. Um, but there is a direct relationship to Manscaped company um, launching and me not having had a UTI. It's almost- Oh, yeah. It's almost the exact, like, to the day. Yeah. Like, a lot of women I know, I'm like, we haven't had UTIs in a while. It's like, I feel the like- The is adding up. Manscaped really rescued us on this. So. Well, guys just, like, want to be pa- pampered, you know? Like, they, they look at all of our skincare products and they're, like, secretly jealous. Well, yeah, but it's also, like, your life will change, okay? Look, Absolutely. we're finally escaping the heat the leaves are changing pumpkin spice in the air some call it pumpkin spice season but when it comes to my man all i'm thinking about is the fresh fall ball i love you even love manscapes coffee make sure his caramel apples are smooth and fresh with the help uh, don't bite them though Unless. Don't go bobbing for apples. Unless. <laughs> Unless. Unless. Manscaped is the leader in below-the-waist grooming, and they are here to make sure to bring smooth sensations to you and the man in your life. With 6 million individuals worldwide who trust Manscaped for their below-the-waist grooming, why would you choose anyone else? Get Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off, plus free shipping with the code WHITNEY. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 has everything the man in your life needs to freshen up for fall, whether you're gifting it to your man or men or using it on your bikini line let's keep the bush tame with the lawn mower 4.0 trimmer manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their platinum 4.0 the manscaped boxers cute and the shed travel bag both are specially made to hold your goodies get the platinum package this fall these products are guaranteed to be hits for your dangly bits i'm using the deodorant right now go to manscaped.com and get 20 percent off Oh God, it I love that smell. So good. It smells so good. Oh, I can't stand it. Uh, Go to Mints. 20% off and free shipping, right? With yeah. the code Whitney. Yeah, That's 20%, 20% off. off and free shipping at manscaped.com when you use code Whitney. Manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunk's time to shine. I love that. Or twig. <laughs> I'm back to Diablo Cody and sorry, Diablo. Do you think any part of that has to do with the fact that you have your work name and then you're set so you almost it's not like alter ego but you're able to kind of set compartmentalize in a way that's healthy yes and i've been told by other people that like they that they envy me for that that they're like i wish i had picked a fake name too so i could at least have this like separate you know google everything for that name and then i had my own name to myself and i am protective of you know brooke Busey. that's who i am the Diablo Cody stuff, I mean, it's just like, it's a, it's funny. I mean, it's a funny pen name. I have no idea what was going through my head at the time. I love it. It's so um, gangster. But it has been, you know, a nice It's just so like, even cowgirls get the blues. That's yeah, what it makes me think of. That was, I mean, and that was the vibe, right? Thank That's you. That's what makes me think of. Um, You know, now I'm like old and, and superstitious and I'm like, why would I invoke the devil in my pen name like it just feels like so stupid but you know i think most people i'd never even put that together 
I'm glad to hear that. I forgot that that was because it, it freaks me devil. out. I'm always like, God forgive me, but yeah. But we're yeah. We is that? Do you feel? What is your relationship with God now? I'm, after I being have in Catholic school, been, I have always been religious. Believe it or not, yeah, I just I, 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 I have it. a different spiritual practice now as an adult than I did. I'm not a Catholic or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But like, I a hundred percent believe in the interconnectedness of people, and that like our sort of collective consciousness is kind of like. God, like the the soul of the world is like a very significant thing. And I think we just move through life feeling very alone and not realizing that we're actually like all appendages of mm-hmm. the same body. 100%. And, you know, I just connect to God in different ways. And I, I mean, I'm like a little, it's, it's funny. I'm always like, oh, I'm not Catholic anymore. And meanwhile, I'm like lighting frankincense every morning. Like, <laughs> it's like literally. Dude, my house literally looks like a church. I always have. So does mine. But I mean, the aesthetics of religion are gorgeous. Immaculate. <laughs> I have Mar- Mary everywhere in my house. Like I have angels. I have, uh, you know, it's like totally the like goth- a church. That gothic, it, that's gorgeous. my kink. Same. But maybe it's because of the cathexis of growing up. Like I'm sure the first time I ever like felt vaginal pleasure i was like in church like what's that <laughs> and then was like pew like it just yeah. there's no way that doesn't you know no i stick mean that was like the place where i probably spent the most time other than my house so it's like yeah i, I always feel comfortable in that culturally catholic aesthetic but i, I actually don't. think that you know I, i'm radically everything's a gift everything's a gift i'm not saying like keep hanging out with your abuser or like glorify <laughs> adversity. Like don't come for me in the comments or come for me. I don't give a shit. Um, but uh, uh, I do remember I used to have to sit in church so much and I went to a Catholic school in Roanoke, Virginia. We had, we had church every morning, the most gorgeous church, old Gothic. Same here. Church every morning. yellow. Beautiful, beautiful. I went to a, a, like a, a gorgeous Eastern European church. Yeah. I literally loved going to church because I was like, I would just stare yeah. at the, I just loved it so much. And um, I remember watching the priest or the people, the person giving the sermon. I remember being like, I could be do that better. <laughs> I remember like I would think of jokes for everything that- A lot the, of them were terrible. I mean, can you believe they had the mic for that long? Why? And they were just like the least interesting people droning on about whatever. I found myself punching up their- <laughs> speeches do you know what I mean and being like oh he should say that like you know like and then when he would get a laugh I'd be like do that more like I remember having a very clear uh sort of um inception of what I ended up doing later and not really understanding it I love that that was like primitive stand up for you I love looking back at things that you don't think had a big impact on you and like I used to um and then when I really I think started doing stand-up like in a form of like Tourette's of like, oh, I don't know how to talk any other way than to address the awkward thing and and make people laugh because I I don't know how to have like eye contact just doesn't work for me. Uh, At at that point in time, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And um, I used to be an informal model at Bloomingdale's and I'd walk around in like wedding dresses and stuff and be like, I was like a perfume girl basically, but like with wedding dresses, like there's the wedding salon is upstairs if you want to. And then people just walk, they're just like, they, they are, creeped out by everyone wants to avoid the informal model yeah. he's like hey have you gone upstairs to the trunk show for shit and everyone's like excuse me like no one and i would have to figure out a way to make a joke i would have to like charm them i'd have to talk to complete strangers that did not want me talking to them right. you know so i had sort of had to like figure out how to be charming and funny and then i always got in trouble they'd be like are you making jokes about the trunk show are you making fun of the wedding dress you're wearing and i'd be like yeah it's ridiculous like you know but so that's kind of how it started and I go I never thought about that until kind of recently that's fascinating like do you feel like there's anything else that you were doing as a kid or teenager that was adjacent 
to what you, when writing wasn't yet your goal where you're like, oh, oh, well, I mean, this is I was already a, kind of doing that. This is kind of a cliche. And I've heard other people talk about this. But like uh, Joey Soloway has talked about this much more articulately than I will. But like the sort of really complicated games that we created with our dolls and our ponies and all that stuff. Like my My Little Ponies, every single one of them was a specific character with a name. Okay. Yes. Right there on top. Perfect. And they all had different accents. They had backstories. And every day I was crouched down creating these like dramas for my my ponies and my Barbies and my seaweeds and all my little Amazing. 80s toys. And it's like, you don't realize at the time that you're like writing dialogue. <laughs> you're, you're, it's exactly like, it. And you're in you a know, fantasy. You're, you're in a fantasy scenes. land. Yeah. It, and, I, I mean, <laughs> it's it scares me a little bit because I see parents now. They're like, I don't know. He talks to another. I'm like, that's not. And don't pay, let them play. Yeah. Well, he's over there talking to himself. Good. Good. Do not take him to a therapist, right? Like, let him, fa- you know, I used to, um, this is so embarrassing. I, well, I did put Barbies in the microwave and I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm I mean, s- we all messed with I am so sorry. But because you know that, remember the brunette Barbie? When I, they came out with the brunette Barbie? There were a few, weren't there? The first one was Whitney. Oh. And it was like the the brunette Barbie that did not sell. It was like the Pepsi clear. Nobody wanted the Whitney doll. (laughs) No one wanted the Whitney doll. And so I made a life-size one. (laughs) I mean, that's that's beautiful and chilling. (laughs) And um, uh, I forgot what I was going to say about that. But, oh, I would interview uh, myself. I would write out questions. Oh, I love that. As a journalist and, like, answer them. And I would, like, be on talk. I used to do, when because I was alone so much as a kid, I would – do fake commercials like I didn't even aspire oh, yeah. to be in movies I was like I'm a movie star I would like wrap up Oscar Mayer or baloney and be like this is my favorite baloney because commercial- would- we watched so many commercials and commercials were where you saw kids so it made sense you were just like this is this is what I could be doing so I just it totally yeah. and like that was and I would like always eat as if I was in a commercial like loving the cereal or whatever and then yeah. I would make a perfect bite of like Lucky Charms I'd make sure it was like three different marshmallows and whatever just so that because that's what it would look like in the commercial and I love then that I would, you were even the food stylist you were doing every job everything I was in my mind I was like someone's filming me and I just want to make sure we get it like I was just like a psycho that's I mean I love that I know that I, supposedly I know so many things are misattributed to Marilyn Monroe but apparently Marilyn Monroe like said I always live my life as though mm. someone is watching me and that's like, yeah. man that must be exhausting fascinating yeah and also I do think because so many people now and I, I can't weigh in on this I know that there's going to be big psychological impacts from the pandemic I'm big on like it'll all benefit us when people are like kids are in the mask and that's not good for them I'm like we don't know what their future is. They, they, they might be being prepared for the life they're gonna have yeah they might there might be be a version where everyone's right I don't know I hope not but like the problem's not going to get solved until it's a problem and then we have we just have to let them prepare for the world they're going to live in and not the one we lived in you know so I, I kind of like I feel a little bit you know I don't I hope I'm not callous but when people are like my kid has not seen another kid and there's not playing with it I'm like let them play alone let them figure it out let them develop an inner life let them yeah. develop be it like be able to enjoy themselves and be creative and have a fantasy world you know that might be good for them yeah because that's what that's how i did it no it's true and so did i i mean i that was i preferred that i would have thrived during a pandemic as a child <laughs> i know i feel like this is where i shine yeah like i don't have to go to school really zoom only this is great so can i ask you what other music was like super like impactful to you i so when i was like a freshman in high school i started dating is probably too uh 
too a meaningful of a word. I started (laughs) fooling around with a guy who was wore like a black leather jacket and smoked and was into punk. And I had no familiarity with punk at that point. I listened to like the new kids on the block, right? Who I still love. And I, but I, he got me, you know, he made me tapes. He got me into, you know, Green Day and Screeching Weasel and Fugazi and, you know. I was just saying that Green Day being punk, I, I'm a Fugazi person. That just gave me uh, a little I bit mean, of a heart so attack. Just so you know, this was before Green Day was signed to a major label. Right, right, right. This okay, was, good. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, this was like, that Ber- counts. this was like Berkeley era Green that Day. That counts. This was pre Warner Brothers, pre Dookie. We all abandoned Green Day when that album came out because we were, they had sold out, right? <laughs> The dorks didn't. No, I know. The Dave like, Matthews fans took them. Yeah, no, no. I, and I love Green Day. I'm just saying, like, when yeah. I say Green Day, I mean they were, like, playing, like, garage shows at that point. It got and, very mainstream, yeah. Um, You know, so I was into, like, um, you know, all those, like, yeah, you know, like. Minor was, threat. Yes, exactly. So I'm going to all these, like, basement punk shows. And, like, it was really, um, it was so healing because. It was so the opposite of this, like, aspirational, like, save by the bell fucking shit that I had had in my head up until that point, where it was like, I need to be Christy Brinkley. I need to be this. I need to be that. I need to be yeah. 90210. Like, suddenly it was like, oh, I can be Courtney Love. I can be Kathleen Hanna. I can be, like... The, the- names go from, like, Tiffany and Stephanie to Roxy and Rocky. Yeah. And I was like, I, I was like, oh, there's, like, a, actually a place for me in my brand of femininity in this world. And it was... Uh, it was great. And then you went in and all the punk girls were wearing schoolgirl uh, yeah, right. plaid skirts. It, cha- like, it, it changed me forever. So thank goodness for that guy. That makes me really happy. Um, in the 90s, around the Atlantis era, I-, I have this theory. Please argue with me and tell me I'm wrong. Because when I see today, I mean, I guess every generation has this with the next generation of like, we've done that. That's happened. Like, go back to the, you know. Ones that actually you're erasing what's happened. I've yeah. never had that thought before, but I just turned 40. So here I am of like when people are like, you know, finally, there's strong women in music. And like, finally, women are like, like saying, you know, being angry. And I'm like, bitch. Yeah. Bitch. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and also when people are like, oh, we're badasses, which I agree with. Fine. I think about it. I'm like, yeah, I was programmed by women that were like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. And then Tori Amos and Alanis Morissette were like big part of my programming. I love Tori Amos so but much. Tori, for me, is kind of a reason I think I got into comedy because she was so obviously dark and real, but there was a playfulness to her of like, I'm a cornflake girl. Like, you can just be silly. Yeah. And then you can do me in a gun, you know? So it's, she taught me like, two things can be true at once. Yeah. You can cope with your sexual assault with like being playful and silly. I just loved every, I, I would devour every interview that Tori did because she was so witty and so weird. And she would talk about how like fairies helped her write the songs. And I was just like, I'm so into this. The way that she would play the piano. Oh yeah. I mean, I went, I like toured, like followed her everywhere. And she would play the piano in a way that was, I guess you would say masculine, but also kind of like her, her legs were so wide open. And it was like, she was so okay with being like ugly in the way that she sang. You know what I mean? Oh, it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't like, I need to make sure that I'm still cute. It was like, I'm going to get a sound out of me. Yes. That could never come out of anyone's body if you're not like contorted in this like oddly sexual, like primal way. And it wound up sort of paradoxically being like the hottest thing ever because because she wasn't pandering to, you know, a commercial gaze. What do you make of Alanis when she was doing those videos and sort of being like, odd 
I think that's just her vibe. Like even just her cadence, the way that she, you know, phrases her lyrics and stuff. Like she's she's like a little bit behind the beat in an interesting way. Like she's just that's what makes her great. Honestly, if I think that she moved in a typical way or sang in a typical way, she wouldn't be the sort of titaness that she is. Like, I just she's just like she's a weirdo a weirdo in a way that I don't even know if you could do today like when you look back at those videos where she's kind of like it's almost she's like I'm gorgeous and I'm talented but like no concept of the male gaze and that she had come from this pop background where she was absolutely you know expected mm-hmm. to look a certain way be a certain weight like the makeup the hair it was very 80s pop you know her Canadian era, pop era. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think she was just ready to be done with it. I love watching old concerts of her in her 20s where she's she's literally wearing like an old baggy t-shirt and corduroys and her hair is loose and long Gosh. and she's just running around the stage whipping her hair around and there was there's no attempt at like stage costuming. Do you know what I mean? It's like she rolled off the bus and ran onto the stage and I think it's the coolest thing. I have, it had never occurred to me at the time that you didn't dress for male approval. As I mean, I, you're on TV, not trying to appeal to men. Like I blew my mind. Like I didn't even understand what was happening. I know. Well, that's why the Riot Girl stuff was also like really valuable to me because it was just like, oh, this is like, this feels like it's for the girls. Like, it feels like you're dressing to, like, delight other women as opposed to, or, you know, other people as opposed to just the fucking straight guys. That just, like, blew my mind. Her first video, she's just in a white sheer button down. I guess that helps. That's good. They're probably, you can wear a white shirt, but it has to be sheer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe those are the compromises. You can wear pants, but they have to be tight and leather. (laughs) I'm sure she would tell us all about it if she was here. She'd be like, I can go through the wardrobe decisions for the You Ought to Know video. Like, yeah. I think she's coming on the 23rd of October when she's here. Um, Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question that was sent from Kathleen uh, Kathleen Gallagher. Ooh. Kathleen Gallagher uh, was in the original run and is a good friend of mine. She's She's incredible. Beyond, beyond brilliant. Uh, She's asking, is there an Atlanta song that's not in the musical that you wish was? No, because you were just doing all the ones from that album. Yeah, but we even brought in ones that aren't on the Mm -hmm. album, you know, like, honestly, I. Like, give me one second. Okay, take your time. Um. I love I love the song Unsent where she's reading the letters. Yes, yes. And but there was no actual way to make that work in the context of the show unless we had like written new letters, which we I suppose we could have. You know what I mean? Like yes, applied yeah. to the narrative. And, but that I listen to that one a lot. And it makes me cry all the time. Um, also, let me say something about going to see Jagged Little Pill the musical. When the intermission came, there was like a panic in the audience that was over. <laughs> I love that there was a panic. And it was, there was like a panic. We're all like, wait a second. No, no. What's happening? That would not be. That, uh, that's not it, right? I've never gone to a musical and not at the intermission been like, great, I'm good. <sighs> it's oh, so I rare. Love, that's, I, that really, I love to hear No that. one got up. Like, no one got up. They were just like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> um, okay, so uh, do you have a favorite memory from the rehearsal room working on Jag a Little Pill? She says, my personal favorite was the day I realized we'd be best friends because I sat next to you and your computer had Taylor Swift. I think it was the Red J- Red album up on the screen. But what's yours? Um, the Catherine and Derek Klena, who played uh, the role of Nick on Broadway, had a little show that they did together in their dressing room. 
and up for Instagram and they invited me on one day and I actually felt like I had been invited into like the sanctuary. Do you know what I mean? Because as the writer, you don't really hang out in the dressing rooms Mm-mm. and you don't like really get to be invited into that part of it and yeah. like getting to sit and hang out with them. I felt like I was very cool and they're like young and I was Aww. like, Did they, am, am I young? Maybe, <laughs> am I young today? And then it's like, no, 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 you're in your 40s. But like it was, it, it, it Catherine knows that was a very precious memory for me. And from the rehearsal room, um, Man, the first time, this is like not like a lighthearted memory, but the first time I saw Predator, which is a scene that sort of recounts a sexual assault that has happened at a party, which is a very delicate thing to put on a Broadway stage and choreograph. Mm -hmm. And Catherine had to do it every night. And the first time I saw the number, honestly, I think everybody was, I mean, I just had to leave. Yeah. (laughs) It was so powerful. And I thought, what are we doing? Like, I had no idea. I'm getting chills right now just telling you about it. I just thought, oh, my God, like, we're going to do this for audiences. And it's brave. Tori Spelling has a question. I love Tori Spelling. Hi, Tori. (laughs) She says, did you like the one-of-a-kind designer outfit that Donna Martin made for you? And did you get to keep it? Also, do you still love me? Tori, I still love you. I think you're incredible. I'm I'm like I love you. I love your beautiful family. Um you're an icon. I ha- I still have the dress that Donna Martin made for me. And This is from the CW. Yeah, reboot. so it was custom made for me. And it's, of course I kept it. And um the the wardrobe lady d- called me fat, uh which was an amazing experience. Um she measured my waist to make the dress. And then she, um, or the, it was the assistant. It wasn't the main, it wasn't your main costumer, but the assistant measured my waist and said, like, you're very big. And then the main, the main costume lady yelled at her. And, but that's one of, that was my takeaway from that experience because now I feel like people are a little more inclusive. But back then, like, if you were a size eight, if you, you had were a 29 a inch waist, like I do, whoa, <laughs> what are you doing at 90210? Wow. Yeah. Was that happened to me more than once though? Like I've had like when I was I was in Vogue like back in 2012 and the they literally came back to redo my measurements because the girl said that they had to be wrong. I had one time I was doing uh at Bloomingdale's. Uh I was of informal modeling at Bloomingdale's, no big deal. And what are their fucking name? Not uh, Victor and Rolf. I love Badgley Mishka. The actual yeah. designers came. And this was when like a local, this is at like King of Prussia Mall outside Philadelphia. It's like not glamorous at all, but they come because this is where they get their money from like the rich women that, you know, will actually show up. They want to meet the designer and then they'll buy some things from the collection that no one can fit into. They'll watch a, a model, wear it in a size zero and they'll go right I'll order that. And then they'll custom make it for them. Right. right. These women that just have an ungodly amount of money. So I would stand there and I would just model for all these really rich women. This is what it looks like on me. I mean, I I haven't eaten in three weeks, but like this is what it looks like on on a skeleton. Yeah. Um, if you're curious, if you want to be buried in it or something, I don't yeah. know. Like, why would you need to see this at all? And then I remember one of them, they were trying to zip it up and it was a size zero and they just couldn't zip it up. And he goes, you're just her ribs are too big. Her ribs are just too big for this dress. Like you have anything to do with your rib cage circumference. Of course. And I remember being like, the fact that you can see my ribs is already weird. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like my skeleton is too big for you. You know what I mean? Like it was just psychotic. And I just remember being like, 
I feel like you don't have to say it. Like that feels like something you think and you can glance at each other, but to say it out loud. And then I was like, maybe I am invisible. No one can see me. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. It's like it's the people, uh, I definitely had a lot of, uh, in the, I can tell you that stylists definitely did not want to work with me. Um, I don't really go out anymore, so that's not a concern. But when I did, it was like, oh, no, she's an eight. She's a 10. Forget about that's it. That's psychotic. That's how it is, though. Even with, like, actual fucking, like, you know, big celebrities. Like, I've heard Bryce Dallas Howard has talked about how she has to buy her own stuff off the rack. Because psychotic. she's not a sample. Yeah, and then the last movie, they asked her to lose weight, Jurassic Park. Oh, I did think. they? Yeah. And Chris Pratt, I think, stood up for her or whatever. But it was just, like, nice. wild. Um, do you think that movie critics matter anymore? Yeah, um, but I think their jobs have become very difficult because mm -hmm. the public opinion has begun to just override everything. Like social media is just going to drown out any sort of, you know, um, critical opinion, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I guess it, I guess in a sense I have I have sympathy for the critic because it's uh, kind of a dying art in a way. Like it's really I not I don't think. Um, formal reviews are what are driving ticket sales anymore. But I also think when I look at a movie like Jennifer's Body, which is an iconic, like well, people, honestly, I could have made a, I could have made a flawless film, and that movie would have been torn to pieces. No, but but it's something was torn to pieces, and then people started watching it, and then word of mouth was like, oh no, we love this. Critics confused threw us off the trail. They were wrong. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or whatever. I'm yeah. not, I don't even, I don't remember reading the reviews. I never like thought about all that. I've heard you sort of talk and going, oh, like movies that critics were wrong about. Now people are finding and going, this is fucking brilliant, iconic, life changing. I mean, a lot of people hated it. Like non-critic people hated it at the time too, though, because we tested that movie multiple times and I, I still have the cards. So the kind of, they you're, were so savage. You're telling me the kind of people. <laughs> That would go to a test screening for 50 bucks cash. <laughs> Did not care for the film yet. Didn't understand art. The meth addicts that needed 50 bucks before they started having DTs in Vegas. Are you telling me they're not thinking clearly? I genuinely, genuinely hate that process. You know what's odd about it? As a stand-up, I kind of like am torn because I love it on some level because I'm like audience decides. Oh, that makes sense. They though. decide. They're our boss. But then I go the process with which you do it. It's why some science to me is wonky because it's like. Like they're coming in and the questions are, so did anything confuse you about the movie? Like people just want to help. People just want need to have an answer or else they seem dumb. Like when you're in those focus groups of like, so is there anything you didn't like about the Megan Fox character? And you're like, um, yeah, actually. Like you just think you need to ace the test. No, you're right. It's like the whole system is completely flawed. And the worst thing is if you have like two kids from, you know, Buena Park say that they thought a character was too bitchy, mm -hmm. the studio will literally the next day be like, okay, we need to get back into the editing room mm -hmm. and we need to find some takes where, you know, Leslie is more likable. And it's like because of freaking Jaden and Caitlin said so. I don't like, like them. That's the part that I don't it's get. It's not it. like, likable that they think she's like, bitchy. Yeah. They have internalized misogyny or whatever it is. Or whatever. You know what I, mean? I mean, but then, you know, it's... It, it's a fascinating process. Like when we test, I know I'm not babbling now, but when we tested Ricky in the flash, what was really interesting is like older men really liked the movie and the Ricky character and older women savaged it because they were like, she's so selfish. She's a bad mother. Yeah. I would. And it's because they weren't comfortable with the idea of like, Oh, maybe I gave up too much. Of course. It was a hundred percent like internalized shit coming out. Like, like oh, look at, I, I gave I'm, up everything for my kids. And so should Meryl Streep. Hey, so uh, you made me look in the mirror. 
Yes. And you made me look at myself. Yes. And I just, I'm not there yet. Yeah. I would like to just keep coasting along this delusional <laughs> sort of like lifestyle and you're making me confront my feelings and insecurities. How yeah. dare you? Yes. Which by the way, for some people going to movies, it's like there is this version of like, I almost think we need a rating for this movie is going to make you uncomfortable, like think it's going to challenge you or like you're just going to check the fuck out. This is a check the fuck out movie. This is a not like it's almost like you're right, though. Like, that's how we should categorize movies in general, because sometimes I'm in the mood to think and sometimes I want to check the fuck out. Right. But if I'm ready to check the fuck out and then all of a sudden I'm having to think about these uncomfortable things, I'm like, oh, shit, I I just needed a heads up. And I would have watched this at a different time with a different person. You know what I mean? Like, I would this wouldn't have been my like birthday drunk night. Like, I'm wearing a I'm wearing a dick tiara. Like, I thought (laughs) this. uh, Let's go see an Adam Sandler movie. I'm sorry, you know, or like the ones that are just him. Adam Sandler's tricky because so my 12 year old loves you know Billy Madison and he loves Happy Gilmore, but so sometimes he'll go through Netflix. No, he'll put on he'll put on like exactly, and then he'll say to me, he'll be like, I watched the Adam Sandler movie today that just wasn't funny. And I'm like, you can't click on it just because it says Adam Sandler. You're going to wind up watching Rain Over Me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Also, like, I am so obsessed with Adam Sandler. I'm obsessed with your career. I'm obsessed with Adam Sandler's career because I love that he's like, I can do the Oscar stuff. I just want to go to Hawaii and hang out with my wife and have fun with comedians. Yeah. Like, I, this is, I, I'm having fun doing this. He's the epitome of like one for me, one for them. Like, and it's, he just, he has the most perfect career. Um, What makes someone see a movie? So I think marketing is kind of broken for a couple reasons. Number one, um, I looked up because I remember the movie Paradise that you directed. Mm-hmm. I remember when that came out, reading the script. I mean, when the script was out, it was like, this is just so fucking smart. And then I hadn't seen like the poster and I just now, like this morning, Googled. I don't and s- remember what the poster was. There's a poster that made me angry. And I know, because once you make the movie, at least at that time, there was like an art department kind of takes over and yeah, they're like, yeah. we need to test all these posters. Like a lot of posters, like, I mean, Netflix, you know, has a different poster for every algorithm. You know, yeah. it's if you're a gay man, they'll, you know, for Glow, it'll be Alison Brie and sparkly roller skates. You know, it's straight man, it'll be her like in a bra. Like they know what they're- Oh, I know. I've I've been in those marketing meetings where they're like, here's six options. Men like number three the best. Like, yeah. There was a, uh, hold on, Paradise movie. It was one that was like sort of, it just was like with those I new line movies. I hope the poster for the Phoebe Cates, Willie Ames movie, Paradise, comes up. Um, I don't. I think there's been a few movies called that. Um, anyway. It um, was definitely the one that like they did that was like a new line, like New Year's Eve, Valentine's Day, that just had famous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. famous people. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the DVD. Yeah, yeah. But you're kind of like, this doesn't feel like a Diablo Cody movie with on this poster. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, I was just sort of like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like, yeah, famous people. I, I For some reason, I think because I had just had a baby when th- that movie dropped, I like was just so checked out that. Was, but you don't, I don't think there's certain, but even if you weren't, like they're like, this yeah. is the one we need for planes. Sorry. Like this is the one we need for Delta. This yeah. is the one we need for no, whatever. Right. That's what they do. And so I, I think we're at a point where 
I kind of, the more a movie is marketed, the more I'm like, why are you pushing this so hard? Like, it's almost like it used to be like, oh my God, there's billboards everywhere. I got to go see this. Now you're kind of like, why are you? Yeah. I trust. It makes you suspicious. When there's too much marketing, you're like, wait a minute. Like, do you need to sell this this hard? Is it bad? Like hundred. And I think most people are like that now. I'd rather one person I respect being like, oh my God, I saw Pearl the other night. You have to fucking see it. If you told me to do that, I'd be like, I got to go watch that. Whereas if I saw 50 billboards, I'd be like, "Mm, maybe I'll get to it. That's that's definitely changed. I mean, for me, like, I know you didn't ask this, but the biggest failure of marketing that I've experienced was actually not Jennifer's body, even though that was certainly botched. Um, Tully was a really sad one for me because they they released it on Mother's Day. Oh, see, I like and the stick. I love the stickers on that poster. I know, I love the face. poster. The poster's great. It's amazing. The trailers were great. I love the movie. The problem was they decided to release it on Mother's Day and market it as a romance, like a not a romantic comedy, but like a comedy about motherhood. And women went to see it, and I literally had to give a formal apology in the New York Times because of how many women were triggered by the film because they thought they were going to see something fun on Mother's Day and it like completely re-traumatized them from their PPD or whatever. Hold on. Okay. I had to give a formal apology in the New York Times. We're taking a break real quick because it is important that you guys understand. I'm not good at a lot of things and that's okay with me. But something I am good at is understanding how shirts work. And a lot of them don't work. I'm seeing a lot of dorky ass hats and I'm seeing a lot of dorky ass t-shirts. T-shirts worked in the 70s and 80s. And then in the 90s, they started making them see-through and v-neck and relax relax it's a t-shirt you don't reinvent the wheel i don't need a dragon a bedazzled dragon ed hardy took us down a wild road okay wild road i have to go on ebay and etsy normally to get vintage t-shirts because first of all the ones that are made now they're 140 dollars first of all or they're made of paper why is it see-through i don't why what are we doing who's making these yeah who, like, I'm sorry that we don't have wet t-shirt con- contests right. anymore. That doesn't mean you need to just start making. Was there some kind of, like, collusion where, like, let's just make all women's t-shirts see-through? Absolutely. Like, what else are we going to do now? Because yeah. we can't, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, True Classic, it is a completely different kinds of men menswear brand. I wear it, too, sometimes. Is that okay? Absolutely. I cannot tell you how soft this is. It's making me crazy. It is a closer fit in the arms and chest to highlight your guy's best assets and a little room in the torso to keep things cozy and streamlined. Because you know what? Your guy is not Jack Sparrow. Oh, I was going to say cozy and streamlined. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. My invisible boyfriend. Turn men from sandpaper (laughs) into a teddy bear. Plus, all of their styles are super soft and affordable. I'm saying this, their copy isn't. No weird, randomly big Maroon 5 Adam Levine collarbone showing shirts. No holes on purpose. No V-necks down to your belly button. Like, let's just be adults, okay? Out with the olds, rowdy t-shirts he's been hanging on to since varsity volleyball, which also, if your guy played varsity volleyball... We're having a bigger conversation about that. That's a different that. conversation yep. for another time. Yeah, you've got to get these for the man in your life. It, this is a gift he will actually love. We have an exclusive deal for our listeners. We want to hook you up with some True Classic. For and we want time, you to hook up with a man that doesn't feel like a Brillo pad. Please, if you wear a True Classic, you know me. I'm on Instagram, DM me. For a limited time only, get 25% off with the code Whitney at trueclassic.com. 
True Classic looks great on all body types. You can shop True Classic with confidence knowing you've got his bases covered. And they are size inclusive. Any of the bigger boys out there, we love a dad bod. Mm -hmm. we, uh, they also have long body options for the long tall guys body and up options. to XXXL on their staple colors. Now I'm just jealous of your boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, get comfortable, get going, and upgrade your guys' wardrobe with two true classic get 25 25 off that's a lot that's a lot that's off a at trueclassic.com with code whitney free shipping included on purchases over a hundred dollars i just realized how fucking much of a racket shipping is so that's I a know. steal a hundred percent risk-free guarantee with 30 day return policy if only men came with the same mm. policy true Isn't classic you're that good get 25 percent off true classic with promo code whitney and true classic tees dot com slash Whitney exclamation point hashtag true classic pod back to Diablo it's so you've apologized and Bill Cosby has it <laughs> yes I have apologized and at the time I was pissed off because I was like I was like the point of film is to provoke and to you know <laughs> in some ways, re-traumatize. Like, I, I can't apologize for triggering people. That's why I got into this business. But you can't, like, trick them. You tricked them. The, the studio tricked them. This, you didn't. I'm sorry. I meant yeah. the studio. You tricked, but, okay, this is So I did apologize that they were tricked. So you know that I, um, my biggest cause at the moment is justice for Shirley Temple. So, <laughs> so we, people are like, is Hollywood, like, is creepy. I'm like, it was built on the back of a five year old toddler that was put in blackface. Like we, there, like there, there's, there's um atrocities in this business. To yeah. Like Shirley Temple was like good shit. Like was dancing for men, not a mom. And is there a mom? Is there a babysitter? Like there's no women in this movie. Why is she at war? emotionally supporting soldiers like i'm yeah. in a diaper like i'm confused but the point is uh, there's i of all the hollywood that might be one of the more fucked up things i've heard and i know a lot about fucked up things in this business like like um uh the director slapping um what was dorothy's name in the wizard of oz judy uh, garland judy uh, he slapped her because she wouldn't stop laughing in a scene when she was 15 he slapped her in the face like things where you're just like that's despicable disgusting you know, people caught on fire in that movie oh, that movie was like a, a disaster people got lung the yeah. the tin man got lung cancer from the the zinc or whatever it was um uh they like used asbestos as the makeup you know it was yeah. like wild so someone um the scarecrow had all these scars forever on his face from you know the the they use like fish line you he know he also had to like sleep on a plank because he couldn't like sit in the costume or something like it was crazy why but i'm saying <laughs> to release tully to be like we should put this out on mother that is wildly unfair that's a level yeah, of yeah i mean i was like i feel like this is a fall movie guys i feel like this is 100 like depressing movie season movie um, but I think they just wanted to get it out. I think they were worried that it wasn't going to perform very well. So they were like, let's at least take advantage of one hook that we have. Um, you know, we the, should do take advantage of moms. And the movie did underperform. I mean, but I, you know, it, it, that was, that was crazy to me. Cause I was just like, why this is like, this is like a pretty grim movie. <laughs> I think you're one of my favorite, uh, writers and, and, sort of visionaries because you it reminds me of the comeback is my favorite tv show I you know love the comeback and no when it came out it was like this is just too uncomfortable this is just too much she's being she's humiliating herself too it's too cringy like we can't 
process it. Like it wasn't, um, it was just operating on a level that was just like incredibly like sophisticated, but it never compromised. It's like, we're gonna, I mean, that finale of season one, when she is talking about having the rod in her back and having to sit on the bench for the, uh, the field hockey team, you know, there's not even a cut in it. It's just sort of, it is so relentless. Like you are going to feel this cramp. Like you're good. You can, we will not let you look away. Like you do that. And then in 10 years, people are like, this is the most brilliant thing ever made. And it just happened to be made 10 years ago. Well, that's the funny thing that happens to me is I can't tell you, you know, 15 years ago when I started out in the business, how many pitches or how many t- projects I was told like, oh, you know, this woman is too unlikable. This, and now they're like begging for it. They're like, oh, can you give us something? We want something with a girl, a woman who's just a complete mess, like a wreck, unlike train wreck and I'm like now you want that see that annoys the fuck out of me now that women have their shit together we want them to be messes now you want that but you weren't willing to I couldn't sell that to you in 2008 everybody had to be nice and fuckable well no because now women have any kind of progress now we need them to be degraded you know I hadn't even considered that angle for me it was like oh now we it's we realize it's safe because Mm -mm. so many projects have succeeded it's the only thing you'll allow so when women weren't in the workplace, we had Ally McBeal, we had all these lawyers, we had all these fucking women doctors. And now it's like, they have to be addicted to pills. They have to be fucking their sister. They have to be yeah. anally fucked. While, like, it's just like, <laughs> I mean, it's part of the reason I'm like with TV, I'm like, you know, any woman that kind of has her shit together and is smart or has good advice or anything is just like sort of the only good advice women are allowed to give is like, you know, what you need a makeover like while like in soul cycle yeah. Who talks in an exercise class. Like, what are you talking? Like, it just drives me fucking insane that that's and also the biggest note of like this woman's not likable. You don't like women. You just admitted it. Yeah, exactly. How do you not see how wild that is? Well, that she's not likable to you. You just admitted I don't like what like it's like wild that we're like, oh, that's a good point. Um, I no mean, one likes her. Like, I like her. I totally yeah, exactly. get exactly. Like, I, the, I wrote this because I like her. Yeah, I like her. People like her. You don't like her. I know no, I'm saying right. something you know, but no, I know it's. But like, we would take that note and just be like, okay, yeah, I'll make her. Uh, okay, great, we'll have her rescue a cat from a tree or like whatever the fuck thing. Yeah, I mean, I. It's funny, like it. It really. Also, you haven't seen it performed. Yeah, you, exactly. Like you're the doing is going to bring so much to. You're it. doing the bitchy performance in your head. You did that. Well, I have to give that note all the time on notes calls. I'm always like, well, do you understand that when we we have an you know an actor doing this, they're going to bring nuance and warmth and humor to this line, and you'll see the pain yeah, that made it's them bitchy. Not just you know, but that's you know, what are you going to do? A lot of things. <laughs> uh, what is the worst note you have gotten? on a project and you don't have to say who it is or what the project is uh i wrote a project years ago i mean i want to say it was for like upn i kid you not and oh yeah my was, first job was on upn half, so was mine. half and half a really? show called half and half yeah no i mean that's, that's that's back in the day and i had written a whole pilot about that took place in a law office and they said that they were cool with it but everyone should be a dentist so i changed the whole show to be in a dentist's office from a law office and that's still funny to me because i don't know why everybody suddenly i don't like I, I I don't know. That was a good one. And then, oh, this is a classic. By the way, I lawyers are funny. Lawyers Dentists are funny. try to be funny. To be clear, I know nothing about law or dentistry. So either way, it was just like complete <laughs> hack bullshit from 25-year-old me. But then the um, also UPN, best note ever, especially in light of today, was I I, I insinuated that a, a character might be bisexual in a in a teen pilot I was writing and they said they called me and they said we specifically need to talk to you about something we don't do gay here we will we do not do 
anything gay. We don't do gay characters. Sure. That's just 100% not on the table for us. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, who's gay? But you're like, a closeted gay man. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was probably an <laughs> openly gay man that said it to me, to be yeah. perfectly honest with you. Like, but that it's funny to me now because it's like, oh, my God, if you said that, like, what is this? Like, Hallmark? Shocking. Yeah. That is wild. Um, I'm obsessed with uh, iconic roles that were almost played by another actor. Oh, I like that, too. Like Sandra Bullock almost was in Million Dollar Baby instead of uh, Hillary Swang. Nicole Kidman was almost Notting Hill. Uh, oh, I didn't know that one. Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe was almost the Lord of the Rings guy. Amelia Clark was almost Anastasia from Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, I love that. Uh, love Actually. Uh, no, Gwyneth uh, um, Paltrow was almost Rose from the Titanic. Oh, I knew that one. Yeah, like, are there been- any, like, people not, like, they didn't get it because they should, like, or is there no, any? they just couldn't do it or whatever. Or they couldn't do it or you just, it ended up not being the, you know, or someone that you wrote with in mind and then you're like, ah, oh, that's not the right person. I'll work with them eventually. But, like, just... Um, I did write, I did not know Charlize Theron at the time that I wrote Young Adult, and I did write it with either, in my mind, I was like, this is Gwyneth Paltrow or Reese Witherspoon. I can't picture it. Really? I mean, Charlize obviously is, like, born to play that part, and once I had met her- Born! Yeah. But I didn't, I hadn't, I I didn't specifically have her in mind when I was writing it. Um, Everything else I've written for her, I have, but- and then, um, so you, there's a th- you're, you would imagine Reese, and then you kind of vacillate, like go back and forth. And this is not like that interesting, but Luke Wilson was originally going to play the Jason Bateman part in Juno, and he left, he dropped out like a week before. Like it was like, no offense, but thank God. Bateman came in like last minute as like a favor. So that I remember that because I was scared at the time. I was like, well, the movie's finally getting made, and we don't have a guy to play Mark. That's a trip. Yeah. To think about just the sliding doors of all that shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Pretty much. And then can I ask your takes on a couple movies? Like, I think you are, um, you just, I don't know, I put you in the same categories like Chuck Klosterman. Oh, I know. I love Chuck. Yeah, the best, my favorite. And just in terms of like a 90s writer aficionado of culture where I think culture is so subjective and I love that, you know, a singer that I love, you hate, great. That would be weird if we all love the same art because we're it's a Rorschach test. We're projecting our shit, yeah. you know? But like your point of view, I'm always like, I want to know what she thinks. And I Okay, tell me. What 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 do you want my opinion? Twilight. About? Um, so I did see all the movies. Or like just your experience with it. Um, you know what's weird? It's like I feel like I would have a stronger opinion if I'd been a little bit younger or a little bit older. I was in this exact pocket of like What was our Twilight? Oh, that's uh, my, a this question. is my thing. Everything now has always existed. It just looked different. I love like what was our Twilight? Who was our JoJo Siwa? Was Who Titanic was our... kind of our Twilight? Yes, even it was just one probably. Movie. I think probably it, I think it was. I think it was just emotion. I don't porn. know if we had a JoJo Siwa because I'd argue that JoJo, who I love, also she was at Jagged Little Pill. I think she was That's born right. out of a new the new media era, the online, the YouTube era, and we didn't have that. Yeah, but like. I mean, we had like Polly Shore. We, I, oh, wait, did I, saying Polly Shore was our JoJo Siwa is the hottest take, and I love it. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I don't think JoJo Siwa is handing out like souvenirs to the people she fucks. I might be wrong. Okay. Because I, 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 Polly did sorry, that. His sex life aside, okay. I just mean when I first saw Polly, he was kind of just this like, I'm here to entertain you. Yeah. I don't totally know who you are when you're not performing, but you are just <laughs> Pee Wee Herman <laughs> minus the jerking off. Like, We've never had a Pee Wee before or since. Pee-wee is singular. That's true. I just mean, Oh, like, you want to know something crazy? Someone who get is this, pure joy, this. no I have, negativity. No, I have a crazy one for you, though. Give it. I think 
Paris Hilton has actually become a Pee Wee Herman type figure. And I don't mean that as shade. I mean, she is playing a full-time beloved character. And you know what I think uh, Paris Hilton comes from? What? Lisa Frank. I mean, obviously, she's she's Marky the unicorn. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's sort of Barbie, like, like Barbie, yeah. yeah, a little. But I do think like Paris has really uh, grown on me as a figure because at this point, what she is doing has become an eccentricity as opposed to a performance of you know mainstream sexuality. Like mm-hmm. at this point, it's become like she's been doing it so long and is so committed to it, and it's become such camp. Yeah, that yes. it almost reminds me of like Angeline Pee Wee John Waters. Like, yes, John Waters more so than like oh this blonde girl is so perfect. Angeline, I have the um uh that's a Polaroid camera. Angeline up to the left harder. Oh yes. yeah, it's an Angeline. I love Angeline. Yeah, Angeline, yeah. I love her so much. I paid eighty dollars for one of her shirts out of the back of her car. I would do that. Yeah, I don't think I've ever caught her stopped. You know, you see her. I pass had, you on the road, but I don't think I've ever. I had a meeting her. with her at Denny's. It was the wildest hour. She of my met life. my friend at Denny's too. I think that she just meets people at Denny's. Is that her thing? She yes, that is her thing. Okay. And she is so eccentric and just there's nothing to compare to. There's no way to like understand what's happening. You're just. Um, I was like, we're in a simulation. That's the first time I was like, we're in a simulation. <laughs> Angel- Angeline made that shit happen for herself without Instagram. Without, I mean, it's just like, I respect it. Obsessed. Yeah. She was like, I don't have a product, but let's get me that billboard. Yeah. What are you selling? Me. Like, just my, great. But she said some things to me that, you know, when someone just says something to you where you're like, you're right. And no one would have the audacity to say it, but it's a great observation. Just no one would say that. She looked at me and she was like, you look like a cartoon. Oh, she said that to And you? I was like, you're right. I mean, that's a compliment. I, it is, total. Yeah. I, I just took, I just was like, that's true. That explains so many things. Like babies really like me. And I had a PD, uh, what is it called? Pediatrician once say, oh, it's because you look like a baby to them. Oh, yeah. Like the way you're, you have big eyeball. Like and There's a word for it. Neotinous, I think is the word. Really? Yeah. Pat, can you check that? That is amazing. Neotinous features, it means... You're you're symmetrical and childlike. Yeah, baby. Purpo- yeah. But my, I have like a giant smile, so yeah. I look like a remix of like a baby and a clown. And it just like <laughs> it, it just all like just makes a lot of sense. But it helped me because I was like a lot of times as a stand up, I'm like having to project. I have to do so much less than I think I have to do because my face is so expressive. Yeah. And I just it took me a while to like if I think I'm being subtle, I have to do half. It's a weird it's a weird thing that like it feels self-obsessive to even think about, but I'm able to think about myself in a really objective way and I'm always desperate for how to know how I'm perceived, but no one has the balls to tell you. <laughs> it's funny that Angeline of all people says That's that what I'm you, saying. Where you, like, takes one to no one. Like <laughs> I got more done with you at Denny's than like any therapist I've ever worked yeah. with. Yeah. Um can I ask you some questions from fans? Of course. I can't believe there's fans. Your fans? No, they're your fans, too. That's really nice. Um, uh, it's a lot of Jennifer's body. I had to. Yes, it was love all, it. Why isn't it on iTunes? <laughs> didn't, I didn't know that. Like, I, I can't do anything about it. I'm okay, sorry. great. But thank you. Yeah. And uh, Jennifer's body, did she, this is me, did she really swim in that fucking lake? Yeah. That is the most wild shit. And she was paparazzied by like crazy ass, like long lens stalkers that day, too, which caused a huge crisis on set. It was bad. I get, like, it's so wild how famous she's been for so long. I know. I know. What music are you currently enjoying? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I it's, just want to know. So like, no, I, wanna... I do a really weird thing sometimes where I'll take an artist that I don't know anything about, but that is popular. And I will dive into their catalog and listen to it over and over. So I can try and figure out this again. This is a weird. I'm not really a person thing. I'm more trying to research the phenomenon of the artist. 
And um, I decided to do it recently with Miranda Lambert because I didn't know anything about Miranda Lambert, but I knew what Miranda Lambert's like shtick was. Yeah, like, yeah. I know like what she is and what she means to people and what her image is. So I went online. I went on her subreddit. I compiled what people said were her best songs. I made a Spotify playlist and I've been listening to Miranda Lambert in my car. Researching. How's it going? It's great. I, I think I'm a Miranda Lambert ballads person. I don't really go as much for the like root and tootin red Interesting. Wagon stuff, but Bluebird is a, an amazing song. Wow. And she writes her own music, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so um, too. But it's, uh, yeah, I, d- I just always let want to know if somebody has amassed like a huge uh-huh. worshipful following, yep, yep, yep. I'm, I'm curious about them, even if it's ne- not necessarily my bag. What was what are some other ones you've done this with? Um, this is fascinating. So this to is me. funny. I always w- was so interested in the Grateful Dead fandom, right? And years ago, I was like, "All right, I, <laughs> don't overthink it." I was like, "I'm no, it's it's too late, Whitney. It's too late. It's pretty simple. No, it's too late. They got me. Get they got me. Stone. They got me. <laughs> Do ayahuasca. And it started as like just oh, I'm going to force myself to listen to gr- the Grateful Dead all the time, and it. And then it, then suddenly it wasn't forced anymore. And suddenly all I wanted to listen to is, and suddenly I'm a dead It's a cult. It's and a you're being brainwashed. I know. And now I go to all the Dead and Company shows and it's like, yeah, I love Grateful Dead. I would love to know as uh, a um, musical anthropologist, your take on fish. That's where I'm like, I, Grateful Dead, I can figure out. But the fish thing, that's drugs. I never got into fish. Remember, we're bouncing around the room. We're bouncing like, around the room. I remember that one. What's happening? Why are these songs 45 minutes? <laughs> Like this is not this is a cult. I know I never allowed myself to because you know there's there's all those Grateful Dead adjacent acts mm-hmm. like like fish and like yep. you know whatever widespread panic right you know I I never allowed myself to venture outside the margins mm-hmm. of the dead because I know I would wind up like next thing you know I'm like spinning in circles. That's you know so what I mean? fascinating. Like, Wasn't Jonah Hill going to play him or is playing Jerry I Garcia? Heard that. In a movie? I'd kill to see that movie. Wow. Yeah. What uh, movies do you want to see that are based on real people? Oh man, um, you know what? I, it's I, it, if there was a way to do it in a way that wasn't exploitative. Wh- where's our Britney Spears biopic? Wow, you know what I mean? Like, wouldn't you want to see that? Who would it be? I don't know. But Cast re- Jamie Lynn. <laughs> I remember there was a story about Neil Strauss wrote about in one of his books that he went to spend a few days with Britney once, and she like completely spilled her guts to him yeah and then nothing came of it and i was like i'd see a movie of like a few days of neil strauss and britney spears hanging out together and britney spears like giving him her entire life story so like a year ago i did this it was like sort of before her conservatorship conservatorship is over which was i just happen to know a lot about conservatorships because i have uh you know when you have right are the power of attorney of people in rehabs and uh nursing homes and people both my parents had strokes and it's really for people that are aging that so that people don't take advantage of them and change their will. Like that's really I mean it's very unusual for someone Britney's age to be in a conservatorship. And actually in the state of California in order to get a conservatorship, the person if I want to get a conservatorship on you, you go to court and if you can tell me your name, the date and who the president is, it's a non-starter. It's not even a conversation. You have to have a relationship re- with reality that is so far gone that you don't know your name, the date, or the president. They How ask. Do they pull it off then. That's what I'm saying. So they ask you those three questions, and if I say no, but she drunk drove with my kids in the car and she hit a school bus, but they're like, great, those are crimes. We'll send her to jail. But that's right. not a conservatorship. She still is able to process reality the same way. That's how fucking wild it is. So we did this thing on the show, which because most I was like, what is the root of this problem? Uh, 
is that people have signed NDAs and they're scared. So of all this, it doesn't, that one guy, the ma- the father can't keep her in there. There's a staff of 30 people that are making this happen, right? right? Putting the pills down her throat, making sure she doesn't have her phone. Like a lot of people are a part of this machine and they're not saying anything. They've seen a lot of crazy shit. They participate in a lot of crazy shit and they're afraid of being sued because they signed an NDA. Most NDAs don't hold, are illegal. I've seen his. It's does, it will not hold up in court, number one. Worst case scenario, you're going to play, pay an NDA violation fee, which usually isn't more than $5,000, right? He, and in order to, he would have to sue you, which would cost him a ton of money. He's not going to, and it would make him look guilty. So I did this whole thing that was, if you have worked for Britney in any capacity or him, and you know stuff, and you're worried about the NDA, I will pay your legal fees and I will, it won't come to that. And I'll pay your NDA violation fee. And I did this whole thing about how NDAs work and how they, they're, it's just kind of a mirage yeah. of a super powerful, scary person. And you sign this thing and he'll go like, well, you signed that NDA so I can fucking take your house and put a lien on your house and take your children. It's, yeah. None of it's true. It's just like a empty threat, but most people don't know that. So, uh, after that, every hotel I would go to, cleaning ladies would be like, Hey, I worked for Britney in Vegas. And they would like tell me, the wildest shit. Oh, wow. You know? So I had, I was in Portland at the whole Hoxton, the whole box or the Hoxton. I think it's called the Hoxton. And this one, um, this cleaning lady pulled me. Cause I also always talk to the cleaning ladies anyway. You know, I'm always like, you know, they're in your room. I'm like, you know, and they wanted to come to a comedy show or something. And, um, and she was like, I worked, uh, I was her cleaner for her room when she was doing Planet Hollywood in Vegas. And she's like, I was the cleaning lady. I walked in, two security guards were, I was between them at all times. I had to give my phone. Brittany, I wasn't allowed to talk to Brittany. They were with me. This is just to clean the room. The entire time. Oh Brittany God. did not have a phone. Like she, there was just like all the shit. And you're like, it was just mind blowing. It was mind blowing. Well, some guy broke his NDA recently who worked on the Piece of Me show and awesome. wrote about it online. And it was really quite elucidating. I mean, it was like, she, yeah. I mean, I don't understand how they could make this woman perform while simultaneously asserting that she couldn't, you know, drive a car. Well, because then you saw how her performances started becoming more and more lifeless and more and more oh, yeah. like, I went to I'm that just... show and it was very sad. Yeah, it was that VMA's performance when she was just kind of like a rag doll. It was like Weekend of Bernie's. You're just like, she's like not there, you know? I like just... Britney Spears is not capable of giving a bad performance if she wants to give a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And it really is like, it, it just it's, it makes me so sad. It makes me so sad because it's like, I honestly, unironically, am a Britney fan, you know, and I. And also she's a fucking like boss. Like, I hate when do people say that. She's a boss. Like, I hate strong women. That's (laughs) redundant, whatever. But like watching her like behind the scenes shit and watching her run shit and like have the I I think I assumed, oh, there must be 50 people at a that do all this. And she's like this puppet like i think i always thought that and then when you see the footage of her actually doing everything herself you're just like holy shit i think you can only be puppeteered to a certain level and if you get past that level it's like that's a certain kind of like she'd be j-lo now yeah that's a honestly probably beyond did you watch that j-lo documentary i did it was interesting i thought it was interesting because i was like wow like j-lo is she, uh, the thing I thought was so cool about it was like, j- like J Lo like is so aware of her fame, and is like constantly yeah. monitoring it. Like it's like there's like there's the the image is constantly being um, 
either like protected or considered or and it's just like I feel like that would be exhausting. It's weird because I couldn't live that way. Yeah, of course it's it, she's a I mean she's a machine and she knows what she deserves and I think it's weird because up until a week ago, I didn't understand this because I think when I was first watching it, I was kind of like, well, because no one took me seriously in these movies and I was just, I had to play the maid and I had to play the this and the this. And you're kind of like, oh, well, we loved that. Like we, I think in my, not we love that you were denigrated to a maid. Like yeah. it was like Julia Roberts played a prostitute. Like it's just kind of, I didn't, we all love you so much. I don't think I, re, we, re, like when we were making fun of G. Lee, I think we were making fun of kind of the movie and not you. Like, we weren't, we didn't think it was your fault. Yeah, like, she probably internalized all that. I mean, we know she did. Internalized that criticism so much. Honestly, Gigli, like, destroyed lives. Like, what, Martin Brest was, like, a very well-respected director. It was also the first time that you knew so much about someone's personal life that once you saw them acting, it felt like bad acting because you knew them too well. So it was like, right, this was like the first time the internet where it's like, like it was, you could see video ubiquitous of Ben Affleck. It's all we saw. We were inundated by images of them to the point to where now you want me to go pay to see them, but I see them for free all day, every day. I have to say though, and I'm sure you've discussed this to death at some point, but I'm, I am so happy that Ben and JLo are back together. Like them getting married. I have not discussed it once. Them getting married is such a win for me personally. Why is that? I I when they got engaged the first time, I actually went to Claire's and bought a replica of the pink diamond engagement ring. And I was, by the way, not a child. I was a adult with a full time job. So you got tetanus. How did you survive that? <laughs> no, I got. I was just like, I I I love them so much together. I, I just, love this. I just think it is like the hottest energy. And like for them to get back together was already such a treat. But yep, I thought yep, yep. this will be fleeting. No. No. They took it all the way across the finish line. <laughs> they are married. Like I am it's like a, it's like closure for me. That is so funny. I wanted to do because I I don't particularly like love podcasting. It's it's people love the show and I'm so grateful. I just don't think I'm like that good at it. And I think you're great at it. Thank you. I think it's like just be authentic and if the people that fuck with you fuck with you and they don't don't like you know what I mean so it's like um uh I wanted to do a segment that was um I don't think we talked enough about this like there's things that happened in the news uh 20 years ago before I had a platform and before like I need to like go back to uh Gwen and Brad because I have thoughts like I didn't oh yeah now we need to recover it yeah yeah yeah. it's like let's read it's called old news like I, I know this is old news but I didn't we didn't analyze this nearly enough <laughs> yeah because we didn't yeah but at the time we we didn't have the platform exactly but it, it oh my god Gwyneth and Brad amazing like it's just like I'm just fascinated by shit like that and by the yeah. way Gwyneth and Ben like there's just a lot that like I we need to like regroup on that's really fascinating to me but yeah I remember watching the documentary and kind of being like I think you have the perfect career so why are you you mad about your career and then I went oh I'm expecting you to not have feelings yeah, because you're so successful. And I think you've won and you don't. 
how dare you not agree with my assessment of your career? Like I couldn't process. And so, and then this past week I had someone be so shitty to me on social, on Twitter. I don't go on Twitter. I'm not like, it's just for someone runs it. And someone made this reaction video making fun of me and that's fine. Plenty of people do it. Uh, and I'm so, f- I know female comedians are like truly the most hated species of people. It's, it's like, it's fascinating. You love us or you hate us. And I know like half of it has to do with me. You know what I mean? Half like, or, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. I've tried to quantify it. I don't know if it's always, I, I wouldn't, it's, I, I, I think most of the time it's like 80% misogyny. Fair, fair. Yeah. By, men and women. Even, By men and women. I, I'm saying that's very, um self-effacing of you to claim 50% of the blame because I wouldn't go that far. But I think maybe for like Maria Bamford, it's 80. For me, it might be 50. <laughs> I don't like help <laughs> the ball go in the other direction. Like I know I'm like, here's a hot take. Here, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Like I know that I make it easy. You know what I mean? And so uh, <laughs> what? I'm laughing because I, there's a document on my computer somewhere where I literally came up with a percentage of how much hate I get that I thought I actually deserved versus how much was so funny. so it's I didn't know anyone else had done this I got it so bad right that I don't I went numb and now I'm having like so much fun and I don't when you don't care people go even harder because like well I need to be even rougher yeah, on you for you it. to feel it right I can't hurt you anymore so I have to go even further you know so it's sort of like you know it's fine but it's very rare that anything hurts my feelings I'm always like I uh, I have accomplished all of my goals. I am so fucking grateful. I've like worked my ass off. I know I'm good at stand up. Like I, uh, anything after this is all icing on the cake. Like if you yeah. hate me, that means you've heard of me. If you hated my special, <laughs> that means you watch my special. Like all I ever, I didn't, add, I didn't, you can't write on your vision board and every, I have to be universally beloved. Yeah, which is impossible. I get to make a living telling jokes. If it means that I get to act and move, I get to be on, like if you, if you're mad at me on Twitter, like, that's fair. If it means I get to keep doing this. You right. know what I mean? It's so a fair, it's, a, it's a fair price to pay. To- 100%. Yeah. And I, this also, I really push back on this thing of the comedians. You're like, we're fighting for the First Amendment and free speech. Unless you don't like me, in which case, you don't get to have free speech. <laughs> yeah. You don't get to say you don't think I'm funny. That's where the First Amendment stops. Like, it's just so, like, and so, um, and I know we're triggering. Like, <laughs> we're tr- where the First Amendment stops. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, we're triggering. like, I, people have a right to say whatever they want about me. And also, but, you're right. but what comedians do is we go, did you like that? And they go, no. And we're like, what? <laughs> it, that's not how it works. Like, we go, you know, we trust an audience. If they're not laughing at us, we go, I'm going to change that joke. But if they say, I didn't think that was funny, you're like, how dare you? You're only allowed to do that in a n- club in front of me in the dark. Yeah. And then I'll believe you. I'll believe you when you're drunk, but not when you're sober. Right. When you're drunk, you know <laughs> the truth. Like, yeah. it's just such a backwards sort of thing. I know I, I, I've even had people say to me, you know, when I've talked about a, a disappointment I had in my career or something that really hurt me. And they're just like, oh, I don't even remember that. And I'm like, but it was the biggest thing that ever happened because it was to me. You know what I mean? It was like in my life, this thing that happened was a seismic event mm-hmm. for you. Like you're just like, oh, Brooke's doing well for herself. Like, I, so it, it's crazy when you when you state it that way, like it never occurred to me. Because it like, makes me like I, I'm obsessed with the idea of everyone like Jennifer's body is the best movie ever made. It's iconic. Like when people <laughs> say that to you, are you like, like you're bringing what like there's just something of I feel like I walk through the shit on that and now you love it I always feel a little suspicious when people are like 
I got so much shit for some. It's like when people come up to me and they're like, this is very different, obviously. But people are like, I'm obsessed with your sitcom. I'm like, are you mocking me? Don't mock me. Like, I'm like, what oh, are you no, doing? I know exactly what you're. It took me a while to get comfortable with the bodisance with the people liking Jennifer's body all of a sudden. Yeah. But it, where be- were you five yeah, years ago I, when I needed you? That was initially my take where I was like, well, I would have liked to have been a theatrical hit. You know, that would have been really great for me, especially at that time in my life. But I don't need you to like it now. At the same Thanks. time, a lot of the people that are into it now were too young to see it at the time. So it's not their fault. <laughs> like the they people just weren't they, born yet. They were cool enough, yeah. just weren't old enough They were yet. not old enough or born. So, yeah, because many of the people who ha- have embraced that movie are, are Gen Z. So. Do you feel like you have a little bit of, of a detachment now of like, I'm putting this out to my point about the billboards and there's... I don't think movies should be judged on their first weekend. You know, no, I hate that. And I don't think that TV shows should be judged on their, you know, the ratings they get their first episode. I mean, it's like, I think it should be like back in the day where they would give Seinfeld like two seasons to breathe yep. before they decided to cancel it. Mm-hmm. You know, first episode's always the worst episode. Yeah, that's the thing. Except cheers. So <laughs> that's good. I like that that was the exception. Yeah. But that's, uh, yeah, I, I, in general, I hate this idea of like, you know, we used to have like, Sleeper hits. You had movies that grew an audience, and now it's like, yeah, first weekend didn't work. Dump it. I know you want to do have done TV. I, by the way, you know that I um, want to start a channel. Maybe I'll talk to Kiki Palmer about it. She just started a network um, that's all just old pilots. So it's just I'd watch that in a- just pilots that have never aired. There is a gold mine of incredible shows. Oh, I've made at least two or three that have never that pilots that have never aired, and they're who's in them like you know what interesting people yeah Uh, there's a pilot i did with ben stiller (laughs) david wayne directed it oh so this is like wow it's me john goodman uh jordan peele has uh is the receptionist (laughs) wow (laughs) and has four lines (laughs) like even the number seven on the call sheet are like legends and you're like how just air it air it my friend, my my wonderful friend, Lorene Scafaria, made a pilot with Kate Berlant and John Early that is like one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. And it never aired. They Wild. didn't make the show. You're right. It could go to the channel. Yeah. Just buy it back and put it on the channel or the channel bu- should just buy them all back. So I'm like kind of like trying to figure out how, you know, to do it. It's not that hard. It's just no one's thought. No one has time to think about like everyone's like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Instead of going, wait, what do we already have? That would be amazing because it's just like the problem is. I mean, then people are like, "But we, you know, you're, it, every every installment leaves you wanting more, and more will never come." You know what? Content that leaves people wanting more, I would like more of that. Yeah, as opposed to the content less. We have where it's like most things. I'm like, much. I'd like less of this. Yeah, I don't need eight <laughs> parts of this docu series. But all the way, also, I'm not. It's not my job to manage the dopamine receptors. You have to leave. Yes. Okay, go. I'm leaving. Uh, uh, I'm uh, sorry. Okay, last thing. Okay. Oh, God. Ah. Red flags and people. What did you learn about uh, human nature over your life uh, from uh, everything from when you started dancing in gentlemen's clubs oh. and blo- blogging about it and writing a book, directing a movie, writing a movie? What have you learned about human nature that you wish you knew earlier? Oh, my goodness. Whoa, this is such a, a great question. Um, I I have always been a very um, trusting person. I still am. I would still describe myself as gullible. Um, and, you know, obviously, I've, I have had to, to learn to be a bit more discerning. Would you want to be just uh, 
living always assuming someone's lying well this thing is i like taylor swift has a good quote about this where you know people say oh have you become more thick-skinned after all the criticism and you know whatever that you've endured and she's like i don't want to have thick skin because i'm an artist like i need to be thin sensitive to do my i need job. to be sensitive and, and perceptive. i do too so i also have remained thin-skinned i would <laughs> rather be the gullible one that gets their heart broken every now and then or is like oh that wasn't true i can handle yeah. someone lying i know i know what that is and then in terms of uh Stripping, you know, what's so interesting is like the same dudes that would have like hit on me relentlessly in public wouldn't get a dance from me in the club because it, I, in a strip club, you are selling the illusion that you have no humanity, mm -hmm. that you are like, like you can't have a chip in your nail polish. Like these guys don't want to be reminded of your humanity. They want to be entertained by almost like this hologram of a woman and someone so, who's enjoying doing the thing yeah. that they need them to do with no feelings yeah and it was always i always wondered like i don't know it was just like th the whole construction of femininity in the strip club was always so fascinating to observe and it was never like a great fit for me because first of all i mean i'm like neither that hot or that persuasive but like you need to be like a salesman Disagree. you know what i mean but thank you but like i i think you're one of the prettiest people i've ever seen that's very you're very sweet but I think that um, you I, also I'm sorry, like, I'm just going to say it and we can cut it out. Uh, your body is so amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you. I, I certainly have a lot of people talk about it a lot. <laughs> Who's a lot of people? Oh, I mean, it pretty much every time you come up in a conversation, oh you're God. like, and she's stunning and she has I, the tushy that I would pay for. This like, is new. This is new. I thank you very much. And you know what? I you have are to say, like I Betty not, Page, like Dita Von Teese, like hot. I did not grow up in an era where my body type was agree popular. Agree. So I can tell I was agree. mocked for the that booty. Was, uh, the, the ideal, the body ideal was uh, Kate Moss. Sits on a stick or Kate Moss, yep. basically Sick. with Pamela Sick. or Kate passing and, away. Right. And so suddenly, and this was funny. This actually. The the young people, some of the young people in the cast of Jagged Little Pill when we were putting it up would would tell me that I had a they would comment on my body in a complimentary way. Uh -huh. And I would always be like, and th these are like young kids. And I was like, oh, you guys just have a totally different thing you're into. And by <laughs> so the way, like, I don't think Kim like, Kardashian, I think sh we owe her a lot for that. Oh, Kim, for sure. I know we're mad at Kim for a lot of reasons. I get no, it. Fine. Oh, be, no, a hundred percent. I know this. Be mad. Do you remember the discourse around JLo? It was crazy. Oh my god! It was like her. She wore a dress, yeah, yeah. that and showed her like butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just BBL city out there. Everyone's so out good. there getting their their big their big booties. Yeah, we have to, a lot to thank in terms of J Lo and Kim. Well, thank you very much. That's the greatest compliment. I've Last ever thing I'm going to say: red flags about people when you're hiring people, when you're dating people, mm. when you're deciding to work with someone. It can be as simple as as texts while they're talking to you um. or. When I'm working in like a writer's room, for instance, like I really need to be surrounded by garbage. Like I need to eat crap. Yep, like, yep, I, need, yep. I want candy in the writer's room. And the people that I've worked with who were like, I'm, you know, like they want like plain almonds in the writer's room. I have found that it's often not a fit. <laughs> I know that's bad. Because and I can't. Because you know I, why? It's you literally of, have bad taste. <laughs> no, I'm just like, if you can't, if you don't eat food, like that's kind of a red flag for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And obviously, I'm not shaming anyone with a disordered eating. It's, situation or whatever but like i i need to be able to like 
break bread with you. And by bread, I mean like bread focaccia, <laughs> like cheesy, hot focaccia. Like, cause it's also, it's like you're into hurting yourself and that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. You know what I mean? But it might just not be a match. I mean, in I'm so self-destructive. Like I would, I, love I would chain smoke in a writer's room if I could, but it's, we're just uh, not legally allowed to. Right. Like I would have a, like, I would chain smoke through a donut, like blowing the smoke out the hole of an iced sprinkled donut is how I would be living my life if, you know, that were allowed. So, yeah, the, the, the there's a lot of wellness. Like, I do have sliced almonds on my funnel cake. Yeah, Does exactly. That count? I'll eat an almond in some, some capacity. Context, if it's like, like a butter paste. almond ice cream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, I, you know, yeah, that's kind of. I have to admit, I have discriminated against against applicants who uh, seemed like they might be a also, little. Also, you don't get to be on a cleanse at work. Yeah, we know. don't all have to accommodate your bl- low blood sugar and constantly going to shit. It's like I'm on a cleanse. I'm on a this. I'm sipping bone broth while we're breaking the story. No, that's for your off time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that, you can't. I sorry, I just am this, and I I'm just like really tired because yeah. I have no blood sugar because I only drink cayenne pepper and like fucking whatever. It's like okay, do it when on a week off. You don't get to do that here. <laughs> like I'm I'm an asshole. I find I'm an asshole, but yeah. like. Your food should not be your dietary shit. I shouldn't be thinking about it. Yeah, I shouldn't. We shouldn't all have to take on that. I mean, I'm also I'm on the other side of the spectrum though, where it's just distractingly bad. I don't know. Like I, I had candy corn for breakfast. You're the only other person I've met. My favorite candy is candy corn. It's so good. Everyone hates it. Huge. I have like a one pound, not even one pound. Like I have like a, I have like a, like a preemie sized, like an infant sized bag of candy corn in my fridge right now. I I like candy corn more. Like most people eat corn. Yes, exactly. It is corn. (laughs) That's my corn. Although I did just have the milk cornbread cookie. And it's one oh, those of, are so good. Oh my god. All those milk cookies are Oh off my the chain. god. Yeah, yeah, it's just like a little mini birthday cake to go. Yes. Okay, I'm letting you go. I just love you. And I love you. This is the like honestly the best time I've ever had on a podcast. So come thank on. you so much. The no, bar's the bar's low. The bar's not low. This is it, it, the, the bar is 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 sky high. You know, I've 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 sat with many a luminary, but this has been just an absolutely delightful experience. And I'm I'm so appreciative. Thank you, Wayne. And um uh next time you have something coming out, I'm gonna force you to come back. I will. I will guilt you, I will shame Are you, you kidding et cetera. Me? I'm not leaving. I'm Oops. just going down the hall to my room. <laughs> I'm sad. That's right. <laughs> I'm moving her into the horse room in the house, you guys. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to be here. This, is, this house is amazing. Uh, invite your sons over. Uh, come and have them destroy everything. People say that and they don't know what they're getting into. I kind of do because I don't have kids. I don't have the delusion that they're angels. <laughs> right. I got it. I see what you're saying. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? I just see them. You as, know how bad they are. I because see you, them as destructive monsters. Yes. I never see the yes. good side. Great. <laughs> I actually love that. Do you? Um, I know you worked with Lucy K a while ago. Forget about whatever reason stuff, but he did have. Um, did you ever see that bit he did about the difference between boys and girls? No. So having boys, they'll boys will destroy your stuff, but yeah. girls will destroy you psychologically. <laughs> and, you know what? I think that's true. And he said he was like, uh, I was with one of my because he has t- two girls. They were different. This is when they were like five and seven or something. And uh, the oh, and uh, Barbie, um, the five year olds Barbie head, uh, she like ripped off and she couldn't get it back on. And she said, well, my Barbie head ripped off. So, you know, my sister's Barbie's head isn't ripped off. So I need you to rip it off so it's fair. <laughs> and he went, and I did it. <laughs> he was ripping off a Barbie <laughs> head. He was just like psychologically. He was like, this is the most fucked up place I've ever been to. Yeah, no, that's messed up. <laughs> yeah. That's messed up. And my, my sons really are, have been, you know, they've destroyed a lot of property, but they are like 
other than that, you know, they're a lot of fun. I cannot wait to meet sons raised by you. Well, you know, there. I have to admit the vision that I had for what kind of sons I might have didn't entirely play out. Like I was, of course, thinking like super into fashion, like purses, um, you know, just wanted to watch Into the Woods with me all the time. That didn't happen. They were, but everything skips it. This was my, sorry, this was the only, sorry, really quick, just because you made a movie, obviously, that had uh, abortion themes. Everyone's fighting about blondes. Um, I'm kind of glad we didn't get to it because it's, it's, it's a lot to unpack. But I was trying to defend someone that wanted people to have abortions. And I, I'll just record it and show it to you because this is where I got to. I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to defend this. Like I just, as a thought exercise, my dad always said in order to have an opinion, if you can't defend the other opinion, yours is bullshit. So if you can't find a way, you know, and so like, and I was just like debate club is like my favorite shit. And, um, and I was like, okay, here's what it is. There is science so much on how uh, I was on, I was with this. Is, I'm just going to say who it was. I know this is going to sound douchey. I was with Mark Wahlberg and his wife. And his wife, who is amazing, she's like, gorgeous. She has the Chanel purse. And she's like, and you're like, oh my God, this would be, it would be my dream to have you as my mom. Like, yeah. I can go through your closet. I can borrow your purses. And her teenage daughter is like, Chanel, gross. Like, why would you wear Louis Vuitton? Like, uh, is like anti design because. There's a biological basis for why offspring want to differentiate from their mothers. It's to deter oh. predators. So you, it's like the same way that that um, uh, animal uh, wolves and they eat their placenta, not because it's good for them. It's because the scent of blood will draw predators. So they just eat it to get rid of it. You know. Yeah. So there is a biological basis for offspring having to be as different as possible as their primary well, caretaker. That definitely happens. So it's like whatever you are, they're just going to be the opposite. It's yeah. not personal. This is how they're wired to be. I need to be as different as you as possible because predators are coming for you because you're old and yeah. I need them to not see me as, you know, you. And um, and so I was like, okay, so if you're a pro-life person, forced birth person, you can go, I fucking hate liberals. So I'm going to make them have kids because then their kids will backlash against them and become conservatives. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Because I was like, you know that if you make liberals have kids, you're just making more liberals. But the science would be that- Not necessarily. Not it's always. True. It's true. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. was, I was like, that's how far down the rabbit hole I went. <laughs> of trying that's, to understand no, like why you'd want to force women to have children they don't want. Like, I was just like, how why? could I possibly get there? So I love you. On that I love note. You too. On a, let's abort this interview. Okay. We believe in abortion here at the show. Yes, we support it. <laughs> Your body, your choice. And she's choosing to get the fuck out of here. I love you guys. Don't ride elephants. The it's always the right time deal. Hey, want to go to Mickey D's for lunch? Ooh, let's go now. <laughs> but it's not lunchtime yet. If we're going to McDonald's, it's always the right time. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. There's a deal for every lunch hour at McDonald's. Now's the time to get two for $3.99. Mix and match a four-piece McNuggets, a McDouble, a McChicken, or a hot and spicy McChicken. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. <laughs> 